oh, this feels good. What a time to be alive. Just for today, what a time to be alive. Like, I'm just here, like... So, welcome to the Nose Boxing Podcast, etc., etc. We're a man down today. Well, Mr. Martin Theobald is in Madrid licking his wounds. <laughs> listen. <laughs> and that, that, is, listen whoa, whoa. that is the voice of Terry Chapman Dharma. <laughs> that guy went all the way to Madrid, right? He drove for like three days. He had to walk the last 20 miles. <laughs> and he didn't even go to the stadium. <laughs> Imagine that, like he's there. Like, if you've ever been on like a stag do, that's either been like really good or really bad. And the last thing you want to do is hang around on that Sunday, right? You just want to be on a plane and get home and sleep. And Theobald's just there, isn't he? Just <laughs> he's just there in Madrid now. He's drinking, but in his heart of hearts, he knows his team got spanked. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Tottenham became Arsenal for one night and one night only. I told you they always wanted to be like us. <laughs> um, so, the big news of last night, obviously... Uh, Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor. Doing re- <laughs> you know, no, no, no. But how often did Hearn talk about the road to Undisputed and Katie Taylor delivered on the Undisputed? Typical match from style. You know, nicking a result she didn't deserve. But... And if Seamus Campbell's listening to this, because he likes to say I criticise Irish boxing, on this podcast, I've always said Katie Taylor's overrated. And she fought Delphine Persoon yesterday, who looked... She, I've never seen someone that basic, but she was just double tough. And like, we're going to come on to this when we talk about something else. But it's funny how many people seemingly crumble when all someone does is stand up to them and say, well, you came for a fight. I'm going to give you a fight. And Katie Taylor seemed to crumble mentally, which I found really interesting, actually. So let's see, because had that been three, had that been three minute rounds, I don't think Katie Taylor could have won that fight. She might have got stopped. And that's for me, that's the legitimate argument for making women's fights three minutes and not two. So yeah, Andy's looking at me confused. But if 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 you do three minutes, you get more knackered later into the fight, right? And then it benefits those who are mentally and physically able to do the distance properly. But these two-minute rounds, especially for these guys who did the Olympics, it's nothing for them. I've always advocated for no breaks at all. Just one round. One solid round. Well, well the only person who's... 36 subscribed... minutes. Well, no, no, but it's <laughs> Wilder takes you up on your offer, right? <laughs> Wilder's like, yeah, you just won one round. There you go. <laughs> we won't even use the three minutes. Uh, so Katie Taylor wins, uh, but scrapes it close. Scratch that. No one. No, listen, listen. Let's just strip this down to basics. No one's listening right now to talk about anything else. Forget 
all those matchroom monkeys that were on that card, they're irrelevant now, right? I, right, I get that, but we're just paying lip service. No, I'm not even paying lip service right now. I might catch you guys in any other business, right? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done this podcast for three years, not to wallow, not to celebrate in my own sweat and juices <laughs> while, so I, while I marinate. He was so excited. Look, a little bit behind the curtain when I picked him up. So excited about spit- it. Just, look. I don't know how many tweets, I don't know how many arguments I've had with people. And I used to say, this Joshua guy, man, he's manufactured. It's not real. He's he's collateralized debt obligations. He's that shit they were talking about, you know what I mean, in when the financial crisis happened, man. You know those like mad derivatives that people attach value to, but they're not real. We're here now, right? Joshua's hype is not real. All these guys that were on team joshua i hope you stay on team joshua but but just know you guys are in the c league right now because after last night everyone needs to ask themselves what have you been paying your 20 pound pay-per-view for what have you been paying your disowned subscription for because they told us joshua's all about the road to undisputed he has nothing now no gold no silver nothing and the first thing what was the first thing we um, heard on an interview with uh, AJ afterwards? Do you think you'll be looking forward to a rematch? What was the first thing he said? I still want Wilder. Well, the, the, do you know what? <sighs> do, do you remember the Bourne films, right? Where they took that guy. What was his real name? David someone, wasn't it? Who, the star? No, no. Jason Bourne's real name was like David Mills or something. Oh, yeah. I actually can't remember, but it was something like that. Yeah. yeah. And... And he almost forgot who he was, right? And he had to go back to to the to Treadstone, right? I love that. He had to go back to <laughs> Treadstone <laughs> and go and look in the archives. Remember, he had to go and look in the archives and he got the flashbacks of who he really is. Joshua might have to go and find Treadstone, right? like because he doesn't know who he is. How are you going to say you still want to fight Wilder? Wilder doesn't care about you. And, and not only that, but this is the bullshit he talks about. I really only want to fight Wilder for the belt, right? That was one of the things he was saying. I need that fourth belt. Wilder has it, so I want to fight Wilder for that belt. It's not about anything other than that. And then you heard, no, I'm not bothered about Wilder. I want Fury in my next fight. Mm, no, you don't. You, you really don't. And so you've got to now say Fury was right all along where he was like, this guy's just a weightlifter. Just a weightlifter. Okay, right. That, that's the initial splurge. But I want to get... I know you want to talk about it, but I want to get you on track. So... Let's start. Let's let's start out. So the build up to the fight. How did you feel that? uh, Did you did you sense anything from the build up for the to the fight? Did you watch anything? So let's 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 roll back to to one of the things I believe in, and like I argue with people about this continuously. This idea that elite level boxers should only fight twice a year, I think, is utter bullshit. I think it actually does more harm than good. And that there's a reason why the people we consider to be all-time greats all have around 40-something bouts or are of that ilk. You know, look at the old-school guys, man, like Duran, was there like 100-odd bouts? Uh, Hearns must be in the 70s or 80s. I mean, a lot of people with a lot of bouts. And the reason activity is important is it keeps the skills sharp. Virgil Hunter was saying the same thing about Amir Khan. He said, look, the guy does camp, he fights, then he goes missing, does the same thing again. And he doesn't sharpen his skills. He doesn't really develop. And so you saw Joshua's the archetype of this now. 
the commercial monster where it's you can only fight twice a year in big fights that are on pay-per-view. And Andy Ruiz, a guy who until last night was on the chitling circuit of the heavyweight division. He was just a guy who was there to fill a card when needed. Which, fair enough, that was his status. Like he was, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a top five heavyweight. There's and no there's no argument to ever say he was a top five well, heavyweight. Well. I'm sure some um, some um, governing body ranked him somewhere in some. <laughs> yeah, the Mexican but, Boxing Association. Yeah, but not legitimately. <laughs> yeah, just at random, probably Bieber. But so then you have a guy in Ruiz who's essentially for the first half of this year just been in camp. That's all he's done is he's been in camp. He's fought. He's been in camp again. He stayed active and he stayed sharp. And he showed up with that kind of freshness to him. Like, he, he had momentum going into the fight. And so, the build-up was interesting because Ruiz seemed to be just doing stuff in the shadows. And we all got distracted by his physique. And we're like, what the hell is this guy doing? We didn't understand it, right? Because you don't, like... I mean, guys are fat middleweight with T-Rex arms. Let's be real. That's what he is. And you're like, Jesus, man. This guy's going to go up against... An Olympic gold medalist, six foot six, seventeen stone seven. Wow! And then who's been to the well several yeah, times? And 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 a wow. couple of times. And while I don't think the Klitschko fight's legitimate, I do think the way he came back from that fight was legitimate. Like he had that in him. Like he he found a way to to do that. So I've watched the build up with interest because. It's the first time you've seen Joshua rattled, I think, by this Wilder talk. I think the Brazil knockout shifted the calculus in terms of who the best heavyweight is and what fans are demanding of Joshua. And that's the first time he's felt that pressure because now you're saying, I think Wilder is as good as Joshua. You know, that's the that's where the discussion is heading into fight week. We think Wilder is as good as AJ. AJ's got to make a statement. There's the pressure on AJ now because normally... Joshua does the chasing, right? It was Joshua's chasing all the belts now. So he's after Wilder. The Wilder gets his fight in first and sets that tone, right? And all you and in the build-up, that's all the talk is. The talk is it's, it's a legacy discussion. You should see Andy right now. He is honestly just like full-on casting couch Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> like, you know, all is he, he needs is all he needs is a terry cloth bathrobe. This and, is your casting, this is your casting couch audition, mate. Oh, mate, this is this is going to be like Basra all over again. <laughs> no, so so I guess what I'm saying in the build-up is it was a strange one for Joshua because it was different, and I and I don't know why it was different. I know how it was different. He was more confrontational. He was less corporate, and I don't think he was less corporate in the sense of he was being more of himself. I genuinely think that whole crew have run out of script. Like, there's no more script. Every time they've tried to write the script, Team Wilder just flip it. So then you go to the tail end of the week, and then Wilder does the announcement that he's fighting Ortiz, then Fury. Completely takes the steam out of anything Joshua's trying to do. And so it's been an interesting... So can I just pull you up on that? So you think that everything in terms of... um, Fury... Sorry, Team Joshua's pre-fight preamble and prep is influenced by Wilder's camp well it, it, it has to be a reaction like it's 
the analogy I use is it's like a penalty shootout, right? If I go first and I score, you're now under pressure to score, right? Hasn't then, changed what I've got to do, but it, mentally it yes. has put pressure on me, right? Okay. And so what traditionally happens is Joshua takes the first penalty and then it's Wilder having to catch up. That's what Hearn was really good at. He was good at spinning the story. He did it this time. Remember when he was like, yeah, Wilder's not going to fight AJ. He's, yeah, he's ducking it again. He's going to fight Ortiz. Then he's going to fight Kawanaki. He, remember he called it out ages ago. So they put the ball back in the Wilder team's court. Wilder fights Brazil, ices him in one. You have no choice but to be impressed by that. Now everyone's like, okay, will the fight happen next? But we all know that the IBF are going to call a mandatory for the second half of this year. There was no question about that. So then you're like, I don't think the fight's going to happen this year. So Wilder does the icing. And Wilder's smart enough to go, let me just take Ortiz again so AJ can't have him. Now AJ hasn't got any options apart from, you know, Dillian or Pulev, guys who can take years off his career too. So I think the Wilder team have played a very canny game. And that brings us to Saturday. Because remember, Ruiz is a Heyman fighter. So they've, they've sent him over over the other side of the fence for a payday. Did they think he could beat Joshua? No, but I think they thought he'd give him enough trouble that... Sure, they must have thought, you know, maybe maybe they thought, nine times out of ten he won't, but that he might. He is capable of it. So, Sure, okay. they must have known that. So, if you look at Ruiz... Actually, no, no. Let, let, let's 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 start at the highest possible level. When people see big outcomes, they always assume that there's a big cause. So people like to equate things, right? Big outcome must have a big cause. So if you see, like, nine eleven, for example, whatever you want to believe about nine eleven, whether it was real, whether it was staged, not really the, the discussion here. But two planes hit a building building falls down pretty simple story right but people see the magnitude of what really happened that day and where it's taken us so they assume that there's a big conspiracy at this end they don't want to believe that it was just two two people like a small group of people that did all this they want to believe is a larger machine behind it yeah and so it's the same with plane crashes people assume that plane crashes are caused by stuff like engine blowouts very rare i think they say a typical airplane crash is six or seven small things that went wrong in the right way for it to happen and I think with AJ this defeat is a few small things that came together in one man so such as okay so number one Klitschko showed that when Josh was hit he stays hit I know people can say oh we found that out in the amateurs let's park that for a second in the pros Klitschko showed when Josh was hit, he stays hit, right? So he got he got rocked by White and he recovered. We're coming to that. Just wait, wait, wait. Okay, all right. Yeah. So we're just talking that 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 real boom when you get when you hit right, Joshua. Okay, fine. He he's got an Amir kindness to him that he reacts in a way that his size doesn't suggest. Dillian showed he's open for the left hook. Dillian also showed he doesn't like body shots. Right. So now we're building this picture up. Takam showed Joshua doesn't like it when someone stands up to him or when someone's quite small. 
Has anyone walked him down the way Ruiz did? No. And this is what's interesting. So Povetkin showed movement can cause some havoc. So there are all of these things that different fighters had pulled out of Joshua. And so what Ruiz... And I, I can't pretend I know what the tactics were. And I'm sure Manny Robles will now come and tell you whatever story he wants because he's the winning coach. So <laughs> he, he, he will tell you that what Andy did was what was game plan. It all started 10 years ago when yeah. I knew that I'd get my opportunity to stick him in when Miller so, fails a drug test in nine and a half years time. So Andy Ruiz at six foot was a big fighter's worst nightmare, right? Because you're there going, well, to hit him, I have to punch downwards. So it's almost like, like the hypotenuse of a triangle, right? You, you lose a bit of length by having to punch down like that just because of the angle. You can't punch dead straight, so you don't have all of your reach. So that's the first problem. The second problem is Ruiz has pretty quick hands. So if you notice in the fight... Right, that was my next... Sorry, I, I don't want to steal your thunder or piss on your bonfire or whatever, but my next question was, has he faced anyone with as quick a hands as Ruiz? Probably in the amateurs, but in the pros, No. And, and what, right. but, but it's not just Ruiz has quick hands. What Ruiz is really good at is he goes when you go. So you got to throw a shot. Like preemptive movement? No. Real tight. Like, like you throw a jab, he'll counter with a hook immediately. So, and it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic skill to have when you box. If you can get your timing so good that you can predict when he's going to throw his jab and you can counter it, that's when you're most vulnerable. You're most vulnerable when you're punching because you're either attacking, defending, or moving, right? So huh. if you're punching, that's when you're most vulnerable because you're not in a state to defend yourself. I'm just, I'm gonna my, yeah, I don't want to keep notes. jumping on you, so I'm going to make some notes of questions I want to ask you yeah. <laughs> and then let you get into your flow because I don't want to keep, yeah. Yeah, so, so essentially, when you... Just, you see, I love that you ruined my train of thought there. So when you're looking at someone like an Andy Ruiz... And what he brings, that ability to punch when you're punching means that you, you're more likely to get caught because you haven't set yourself defensively. And he was able to do that. But what he did that no one ever does to Joshua is he punched in combinations. When you start to throw three shots, one of those three is going to land. You throw four, maybe one, maybe two of those are going to land. And that's what you saw with him. Because not many heavyweights have the kind of physique where they can do that. We thought Joseph Parker would do that. That's what we wanted Parker to do in his fight, throw three and four punch combinations on Joshua. And one of the things I said, I think I said this before, I said, you've got to sometimes treat fighting Joshua like a four or five round fight. And you've just got to go all guns blazing for five rounds and just see what version of Joshua's left. And I'm not going to say Ruiz did that, and well, he did actually. Once he got knocked down, if you notice, like in the beginning, it was quite cagey. Joshua was working behind the jab. It was a bit lazy. It was strange how he had his left hand so low, and he wasn't doing that usual thing where he's got both hands up and bobbing from side to side. There's a lot of stuff he wasn't doing that Joshua's known for. But Ruiz was well by the third round. He was probably two rounds down, and then he got dropped. <laughs> and the thing is, like. He, when Ruiz got dropped, and I think most of the people listening, and I hope you guys are still with us at this point, we thought, okay, now Joshua's going to take him out. That's what everyone assumed because 
that's what happens with everyone. They they mentally check out when they get dropped by Joshua because now they're like, I'm behind, he's the world champion, I've got to do twice as much to win this. So most people just go, do you know what? I just need a way out of this. No one's done to Joshua what Ruiz did and went, if you want to have a fight, mate, you're going to have one. So what? Within a couple of attacks, he, he then drops Joshua. Well, arguably Klitschko did. He lost the fight, but he did, you know. Well, no, Klitschko worked his way back in. Like, so if you, if you look at the, the round scoring and the punch stats, once Vlad got dropped, he worked his way back into the fight. It wasn't like Vlad got dropped and went, I'm going to take this guy's head off. Right, it, was, okay. it was incremental. Because yeah, because Ruiz has since said, to sort of back that up, he said, when I got dropped, I, I knew I had to drop him because he dropped me. Yes. Now, here's the difference. Back to what we said before. Vlad had had a gap year. I mean, teaching orangutans to read in fucking <laughs> Bhutan, right? <laughs> He disappeared from boxing for ages. Teaching he's just him there. how to drive golf carts. Yes, exactly. Yes. But so he's 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 in the zone here, right? Vlad Vlad's in his zone. He's hiding from Shannon Briggs. He's doing this. He's doing that. He comes into boxing to fight Joshua, and he's cold, and he warms into the fight over time. Andy Ruiz had already been in a fight, so he had that kind of match fitness which enabled him to go, fuck, I've been, I've been buzzed. Let me go straight back in. And I don't think Joshua had, and he definitely hadn't had the camp to prepare him for someone coming back and going, let's have it. You know, I've come, I've come here for those world titles, mate, and you're going to have to literally leave me on the canvas to keep him. And so I think that first knockdown, Joshua's just thought, this guy that I thought I was going to run over has just put me down. Wow. And I don't think he, I don't think he recovered mentally. Physically, he probably did. Mentally, he never recovered from that. So you get the second knockdown in the third. And you can see after that, he's chilling. Like Josh was now trying to regather his thoughts and trying to box behind a jab. And But Ruiz at this point now realizes this guy's made of fucking wet paper bags. <laughs> That's what Ruiz, he did. Do you, do you remember that point in the fight where Ruiz... I think he hits him with a combination, drops his hands and just smiles. Like he's like, I've got you and you've got to get through this whole fight. Good luck. The question I have is, I think it was the first knockdown, right? And that's what seemed to puzzle me on the knockdowns. They seem to be almost like amateurish, reminiscent of amateur boxing in as much as they just seem to be this barrage. As you sort of said, explain combinations, but they didn't seem to be like like one specific hard hit. I think it's a first shot. It, it ends up knocking him down with a jab. No, so if you... No, no, no. So the, dam jab. the damage was done by the... There's a shot to the temple, which did the damage. Right. That's what scrambled Joshua. Everything else was just kind of like, well, I've got you scrambled. I just need to knock you over now. Right, okay. So the damage was done with a shot to the temple. That was the first one. Yeah. Uh, fucking, yo, they, they were so good and so numerous. That, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, But yeah, enough, yeah. And he could never pull it back after that. So everything after that was him being scrambled. And at that point, nothing's making sense. Your body's not coordinated anymore. So what sets that? Why has Joshua fallen afoul of that? And what would, what would a, um, can any heavyweight survive that? 
Do you know what I mean? Is that once you're hit on the temple and your your head scrambled, which presumably happens to the very best, do they all go down? Do you just, nope. Right. So what did Joshua not do that he should have done? Do you know what? It's like saying to Amir Khan, how do you stop getting knocked out? <laughs> and he'll tell you, do you think I'll go into the ring wanting to get knocked out? I just think Joshua's vulnerable. I think he'll always be vulnerable to that. I think what Ruiz has shown now is hit Joshua hard enough and often enough, you can break him. We haven't even started talking about the body attack, which we should probably touch on because that was another thing Dillian exposed, but he didn't work it enough. And I don't think he was experienced then to know how to do it. I think he could do it now. But Joshua would wince. And you know, you watch the replays of the rounds and he was wincing at the body shots. And you're looking at the shape he's in and you're asking yourself, how? I see a lot of... A lot of uh, Ruiz's shots just seemed to land on arms, shoulders. Didn't seem to be landing necessarily clean. Uh, you know, I, I'll admit, I was watching it on a Daily Motion feed and I watched the whole fight once. So I didn't watch it. I didn't sit there and watch it, you know, clearly and crisply. But I would, I just, from what I saw, I would have said, what, probably 30% of his shots seemed to not land just randomly across his body. Now, I take the point that those, as we've spoken about before, they will still take energy off you and their energy sapping. But is that is that enough for, of an excuse to, to sort of fall down four times? I'll say this, right? We've seen Ruiz box top-level people before. Uh, we we have as? Uh, Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker's a top-tier heavyweight. You know, it says a lot about the division, but he is. And... I don't remember people just staggered, man, like proper, like proper 24 pack of Stella type legs, which is what Joshua essentially had. Like just from Ruiz, who's not known as a puncher. Yes, he's quick and he's got great combinations and it's flashy and it's nice, but he's not known as a guy that's going to put you over. That's the skin. So, and I know people are talking about Joshua can come back from this, but for me, that's what scared me the most. Well, two things scared me. One, that he seems so fragile physically. Two, he's so easy to hurt to the body. And now people will look at people will look now at what Ruiz did and go, that's what I need to do. But how many times have I said it on a podcast? When you're a big man, if you're a combination puncher, you are 10 steps ahead of everybody else because those big guys don't do it. You know, to, to reference a good friend of mine, John Pilata, it's the very thing I say to John. Three and four punch combinations will separate you from the rest of the heavyweights. So what are the key differences between Ruiz and Joshua? And is this, and is this, does this highlight the fact that Joshua isn't necessarily uh, a born boxer, so to speak? He's a late boxer, whereas Ruiz, it felt like it was more instinctive with him. Joshua is Ikea. Andy Ruiz is that coffee table someone made in 1871 out of like one piece wow, of oak. Wow, okay. I loved, I want to hear this unpacked <laughs> to you continue know, the furniture reference. Yeah. Joshua's Ikea, relatively quick to manufacture. You can promote it, the shit out of it and make it look cooler and more functional than it is. <laughs> and you can get enough punters to believe it that it's incredible, right? <laughs> And then you take oh. it home and your six-year-old kid sits on it and it falls apart. 
I love the fact I can imagine it in that uh, in that IKEA star like the Joshu with like a umlaut above the U. <laughs> <laughs> above the U. Ah, the, the Joshu. <laughs> yeah, no. Right, okay. Yeah. Whereas Andy Ruiz is that what some like. Uh, some finely crafted piece of furniture. No, not right, even. Right, okay. No, mate, mate, <laughs> I wondered. Not even finely crafted. Just a big lump of oak <laughs> and some legs <laughs> that you walk past in a car boot sale, right? But a hundred years from now, someone else is going to sell that at a car boot sale. <laughs> and it's going to have a few scratches on it, but it's pretty unbreakable. Why? Because it's built of the right stuff. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It feels maybe a little bit stressful when it comes to Ruiz because he's a fucking massive pudding. But he's okay. He, no, 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 he's no. a fucking no, no. three no, no. now. Now listen. Three built heavyweight no, no. champion. So no, no. I don't know. Now, 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 now we bring it to to the evening, right? So Ruiz, typical Mexican style. He's got his hands, and he fights off a bounce, right? And I can't even think of a way of explaining it. If you go and watch the fight, you'll see. He, he'll, he'll have a bounce and a cadence. Yeah. So every time he, he will dip, his head will come down, but his hands come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do notice that, yeah. So what ends up, so, so he's, he's, he's shelled up already. He's shelled up. So when Joshua's just throwing those basic straight punches, they're catching forearms, they're catching gloves, they're catching shoulders, but he's not really getting busted up. Did you see his face in the press conference? No. Nothing on there. He's I didn't. not marked up at all because he, he, his hands were always there. And, and what that enabled him to do was on that bounce, he could come under the shots. And as he comes up, he could work or he could go to the body when he comes under. And it's a, it's a typical Mexican approach of just being able to come in off some slips, but it's that bounce that gets you in because you're changing head level. And if you look at the, the British way of doing boxing, it's your jab sets up your right hand, right? And if that doesn't work, you throw a left hook. The kind of Mexican slash borderlands as i call those like la texas and so forth their style is actually the punches we really want to throw are the left hook and the left uppercut because that's the one that's closest to you and we think we can do more damage with that so in terms of boxing philosophy joshua hadn't fought someone of that philosophy people might say melina but melina is not really of that philosophy melina tries to be a bit slicker whereas ruiz is truer to that that mexican style and it gave Joshua problems because he's being hit from positions he hasn't trained for in sparring. If you saw the sparring partners he had, he had that Joey Devichenko, whatever, his big lump of a man. And he had Solomon, who boxes for GB. And none of those guys were giving him the same problems that Ruiz ended up giving him. And Joshua couldn't time it. And when he, he couldn't time it, he couldn't get his confidence up. And by the time that he could get any momentum, he'd been dropped twice. I want to ask you whether there is there is talk of the fact that Dimitrenko was a great warm-up fight for Joshua, so to speak. Do you think there's anything in that? Well, being wise after the event, no, no one was saying that before. No one was saying, actually, Dimitrenko was a great fight for Ruiz heading into Joshua. No, no. one was. Because we assumed Joshua was so far ahead of Dimitrenko, right? Yeah. So what use is it fighting Dimitrenko? No one fought Dimitrenko. Go back to the, te the podcast where I said I wanted David Hay to fight Dimitrenko. Why? Because Dimitrenko was ranked, I think it was like number six in the IBF in 2017. And it was an easy ranking you could have taken. And no one wanted to fight Dimitrenko. Andy Ruiz took it because there was nowhere else for either man to go. 
And that's what happened. Yes, the fact that Dimitrenko is six foot seven helps. The fact that he's, he's got long arms, you can work on some stuff. So it comes down to match fitness, right? If you've played against a physical team the week before, if you play against another physical team, for example, Andy, you're better prepared because you're like, I just went through that last week. But they might be completely different tactically, but at least in terms of what it's going to feel like, you're comfortable. And I don't think Joshua was comfortable. He hadn't been through that. And, you know, you know, the guy prepared himself to fight Miller and he really wanted an easy introduction to life at Madison Square Garden, where he hoped to be boxing for the next few years. Andrew Ruiz came and just booted the chessboard in the fucking air. Yeah, because I, 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 what frustrates me, and I, <laughs> a tweet that, in retrospect, hasn't aged well, but I put out initially, before, before this fight, was you always know a fight is bunk. In my opinion, you know a fight is bunk when everyone around the champion is talking about how quote-unquote dangerous and how underrated the opponent is going to be and how he needs to you know, watch out for him because you know I've never fought someone like this, etc., etc. When those when those things get said, I always think to myself, oh, here we go. This is a walkover, essentially, right? Um, whereas when it's a close fight, it seems to be a war of words over who is superior. And there might be some mention, some notion of, like, I respect him, as with the Joshua Klitschko thing, but it's always about, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to do this. And the, the different, the like, the complete polar opposite tones just seem to give it away. Well, certainly seem to, to me, give it away that whether this fight is actually worth investing in. So you get some uh, you you get the preamble to the fight and there's some people going oh Andy Ruiz oh you know he's actually quite dangerous they would they were saying that about literally everyone they were saying about fucking Joseph Parker or oh, you don't want to underestimate him and then Ruiz pulls it off and they will come back and they go well we did say yeah you say about everyone though even the shit fires <laughs> so was was the question i guess i'm i'm coming to is was this won by Andy Ruiz or was it lost by Joshua? Somewhere in the middle. So Joshua trades at a matchroom Eddie Hearn bullshit premium, right? Where they've, they've blown him up into being Superman. But there was nothing behind it. There was no substance behind that. There was nothing that convinced you. We've all heard the sparring rumours. We hear stuff, yeah? We know who Joshua has in camp and Joshua rarely has people in camp who can do damage. He doesn't do that. It's always people he feels he can control. Why? Because they need to get him to fight night without getting starched. And now we know why. But how would that help him? No, so... Surely he'd know that that wouldn't test him enough and it wouldn't prepare him enough. Yeah, but you're an economic entity, right? So you go through these camps with relatively soft sparring partners. Whatever people want to say, they're relatively soft sparring partners. Look, if you look at it like this, right? Lenroy Thomas is one of Wilder's sparring partners. Lenroy Thomas put hands on Dave Allen. That's the level Lenroy Thomas is. Lenroy Thomas, it w if he was British, would be British level. He'd be fighting for the British title. He'd probably give Chisora a tough fight now. Joshua's sparring guys are Fraser Clark, who for all of his talents is a guy who's happy to be on the amateur squad and has no intention of turning pro. So, 
how are you toughening up? If you go back to the 70s, Larry Holmes, chief sparring partner for Muhammad Ali. That's how you learn your trade. That's how you season up. So when you do turn over, you've got that seizing and that experience. You're challenging yourself. Ali having Larry Holmes as a sparring partner is him challenging himself. I've got this young guy. Is he hungry? George Foreman in the 60s was sparring Cleveland Williams. That's what brings you on. So I'm like, who's brought Joshua on? Nobody. They genuinely believed they could use science to create this Drago-type unbeatable champion. And they failed miserably. Now, now that means we've got to be realistic about Joshua and bring him down and say he's, he's like a, talent-wise, he's just like a step ahead of someone like Dillian. Now we take Andy Ruiz and go, how good is Andy Ruiz? Do I think that Andy Ruiz I saw yesterday beats Wilder? No. Does he beat Fury? No. Does he beat Dillian? No. Does he beat Parker? No. That version of Ruiz doesn't beat a lot of the top guys. Otherwise, we would have seen those fights. No fans were calling for a Ruiz Jr. fight with anybody. Well, he lost to Parker. Which was controversial. People argue he could have won that. And, and, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to that argument. But in the current landscape right now, if Ruiz were to defend against Hergovic, he might lose. If Ruiz were to defend against Joyce, he might lose. He might lose to Dubois now. This is what I'm trying to say. For all of his unique skill set, his ability to time these big lumbering oafs, his ability to punch when they punch, his ability to stay shelled up, his ability to go to the body, he's got a lot going for him, but he's ultimately a six-foot heavyweight in a division of giants. And I think he struggles against a lot of them. So I want to give him his credit for upsetting the apple cart, booting the chessboard in the end, more importantly, securing his family's financial future. And I really respect that. But to believe that he's a player at the top level, no. You know, let's just, look, let's touch on the finish because I think the finish is kind of where the contention is for me. And the well, finish... I, just before oh, we get to right. that, okay. um, at, at one point, I, unfortunately, I can't remember what, between which rounds it was, but McCracken, I think it's about the third, maybe the fourth round, McCracken sits Joshua in the corner and he says, come on, you need to start winning these fights, these rounds now. You need to start boxing. Stop hooking. Wait for later in the rounds for that. Stick to stick, one, two. Stick yeah. behind your jab. And then Joshua says, what do you think he's going to do? Now, you need to answer this for me because I, but that doesn't seem like, you know, that seems like he's a bit scared. Maybe scared's the wrong word, but concerned at the very least, like, oh my God, you know? Well, to ask that specific question, what do you think he's going to do to Robert the, McCracken? The, the, the Keen Terry haters will remember when I said I think McCracken's most overrated trainer in boxing. And they clearly hadn't prepared for Ruiz. They definitely hadn't got the sparring partners there. You know, all of that fucking Instagram shit they were doing in that warehouse in Miami where they said they had their camp, it looked shambolic. It looked like a it looked like like that Rocky Fielding trip to New York. It just looked like a <laughs> bit of a jolly, a bit of a laugh. All the AJ boxing crew on the beach running, having a laugh. And you're like, okay, everyone's just come for a jolly and an easy payday, courtesy of Eddie Hearn. Fine. But now you look back on it and you go, Well, this is what happens when you take your eye off the prize. Because 
it was there to be won and Joshua failed to win. That's the disappointing bit about all of this. He failed to win against someone they handpicked for him to beat. If this isn't like a mandatory where we're like, ooh, that's a hard fight. Someone sat in the matchroom office and went, I really hope Ortiz doesn't take this fight. This Ruiz guy, look at the state of him. He's like that Dennis Lewandowski. Get him in. And then look what happens. So, <laughs> they, they, they've really ballsed this up. But, but okay, so we're back the to question, McCracken. Hold on. The no, 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 sorry, go I wanted on. to touch on this one. So McCracken hasn't prepared for this. And so between rounds, I'm expecting McCracken to say, look, he's timing you off the jab. Try doubling your jab. Try fainting your jab. You know, try fainting to draw him and then counter him because Joshua can counter. But Rob McCracken's not telling him anything. And then he gets dropped twice and now it's crisis mode, right? It's like, shit, we're really going to lose all of the belts because this, this guy here doesn't know what he's doing. And McCracken, this, some of this has to rest on McCracken's shoulders. When are we going to start saying, who is Rob McCracken and how the hell has he accumulated such a position of influence? You know, he's, he's butchered careers. John O'Donnell, butchered. You know, what could Frosch have achieved if he wasn't with McCracken? Maybe more. You know, and now he's got Josh and he's screwing that up. All because he was a mild-mannered guy from the Midlands who didn't ruffle feathers. And when they wanted to get rid of Terry Edwards, they got him and Richie Woodall into the GB setup. That is pretty much it. That's how he's built this reputation. And now he's just cost Joshua, you know, the chance at a massive fight. And, and not only that, like, can you trust your trainer now when... Actually, the keys to beating Ruiz were so obvious. If someone's got the timing on you, just shift your rhythm. Double up. Double up on the right hand. Well, you know? I, it, you, it was funny you said about doubling up on the jab. That is what Ruiz's corner said to him about Joshua. Uh, yeah. And I don't know, again, I can't remember where, when it was in the fight. But they, or they yeah. said to him, he's, he's, he's not enjoying that double jab. You know what? Because you don't. So... You can take a double jab, right? In boxing, like there's no problem. A double jab, you're like, uh, you got me on that one, nice. But you don't know if it's going to be a jab in the right hand or a double jab. So you're like, you know, oh, what comes after that? So it, it unsettles your rhythm because you're so used to just dealing with single jabs. It throws you off and opens up other opportunities. It's why you use it. Or sometimes you just faint a jab, faint a jab to the body, come over the top. All of these clever things that guys like Ruiz know. And just back to what we talked about earlier. Ruiz has boxed since he was a kid. And so he's made all of his mistakes. Yeah. Yeah? He's made all of his mistakes. He's been in with bigger guys. He's been in with bigger punches than he is. He knows how to nullify that. And you saw him riding a lot of punches against Joshua. Joshua doesn't have that, that level of boxing IQ. That's why he needs someone like McCracken to just program him. Like, he's literally like, like a fucking Tesla. Like, just program, go there. Okay, I go there. That's it. And, and so Ruiz had the nous and he had the experience and that seasoning. But what you don't learn when you take up boxing at 18, what you really can never learn is defense and you can't learn how to control the ring because that's all they're, they're two alien concepts to you. And you don't learn those over time. And it's why if you ever notice, if you've ever seen a white collar bout, they're all really good at throwing punches, right? But they're not good defensively. 
because yeah. it takes a long time to learn how to defend because you've got to you've got to be able to map in your mind every permutation of punch that could come and in what sequence they could come and have and respond appropriately yes and that takes a long time to accumulate there whereas i can make up combinations at random if i wanted to that's not so hard and i think that's what you saw in that fight as well was someone who was young someone who was fresh someone who was skilled they had speed and they had that seasoning that you can't manufacture and that's why Ruiz was able to to perform the way he did just perform the way he did not to say that he won the reason he won was Josh was not as good as we were led to believe well he's definitely not as good as I told you like I told you guys this guy was it, you know people make fun of me and my my love for Anthony Yard and they go Yard just wants to grab the money against Kovalev Look at this for a money grab. It's absolutely disgraceful. So uh, earlier you mentioned about, you were talking about um, them looking for Joshua's replacement opponent after Miller got caught. And they they choose Ruiz. Is it a poor choice of opponent? With hindsight, yes. With foresight, no. He looked out of shape. He was small. He wasn't a puncher. This is someone Joshua should have dealt with in three or four rounds. That's why in the interviews, Joshua was talking about Brazil just had the performance of a lifetime against, uh, while they had the performance of a lifetime against Brazil. I need to match that against Andy Ruiz Jr. They were his own words. So he was looking to stop this guy. It's not like he thought it was going to be a competitive fight. He was looking to stop him, you know? But here's the thing about that stoppage. You know, you get dropped twice in the seventh round. You know, and it wasn't even, there weren't heavy punches. Like your spirit had gone, your will had gone. You had nothing left in the tank. It was, I'll say it, he looked for a way out of that fight. See, that's, uh, yeah, that is going to come up on the questions most definitely. He looked for a way out of that, that fight. That is the, I didn't want to talk about that until you, because you talked about the end. We, I, I cut you off before you said, I yeah. want to talk about the finish. So should we talk about that before we talk yeah. about... So I've seen it from a number of different angles because I had some friends who were at the garden. And I was so there's footage of the seventh round. My mates were circulating this. And mate, when Ruiz is doing his thing, you can see his corner. When he drops, like Joshua drops in the seventh, Ruiz's corner are screaming at Ruiz. Like, listen, this is what you got to do. And you can see it. They're buzzing, but they've got the composure to tell him what the hell he needs to do. Now you're looking at jo Joshua is there, like, he's being counted. I'm like, where are the Joshua people going, Josh, you all right? What the fuck's going on? No, <laughs> there wouldn't be, there was be very useful there. advice. Got, got guys hanging on the ropes, mate. Like, do you know, you ever done those those zip wire things? You know, those, you know, you know the rope bridges, right? I, I do, yeah. Joshua's hanging on like he's on a rope bridge. He's hanging on to the ropes like that. Like, oh my God. Oh. And, and almost like he doesn't want to go back. Like it was this weird subconscious thing where he's pushing himself into the corner. And, and the, the ref, ropes were virtually holding him up. Yeah, the ref's like, you all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to rip his head off. I want to rip his head off. Oh my God. And it was like Ruiz stripped all the layers Punch by punch, minute by minute, round by round, he stripped all of the layers of bullshit that had surrounded Anthony Joshua. And he stripped him down to that 17 or 18-year-old kid 
who wanted to go to Finchley and box with his cousin Ben Ilayimi. That's where we got to by round seven. He had been stripped of all of this stuff. The gold medal he was gifted. The Klitschko fight that was overhyped and overrated. <laughs> the Charles Martin fight that seemed to land, I mean, fall into his lap by some well, miracle. That's the one I would agree with. All of these layers just pulled apart. And all of a sudden, it's just that scrawny 17-year-old kid who used to sell weed in Watford, allegedly, maybe nick a few cars, ride motocross bikes. It stripped him down to that. And that guy didn't want to fight Andy Ruiz. That's not a champion. Like, go back to, remember when people used to say David Hay didn't have heart? And then that first Bellew fight. Yeah. He, think, yeah. you had to kill him to get him out well, of that Well, actually, ring. Hay, funny enough, on the commentary, Hay said, he said, my reaction when I went down was to get up and just start swinging. He said, you know, it might, it might not be the best way, but that's, that was my reaction. If I went down, get up and start swinging. Whereas AJ just seemed to just go into his shell. Do you remember that guy at school, right? Who had a reputation for being a hard? Yeah, he's hard. Yeah, that he's was hard. me, Mike. Yeah, 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 he's hard. That was me. He's hard. Tough nut, tough but, nut, white. They call me. But no one had really seen him fight anyone. That uh, yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah. You're like, you're like, hold on. <laughs> Where's this guy got a reputation from? And you don't really know. And then one day, you might be in Weatherspoons having a few beers, and this guy pipes up, and everyone's like, I'm at school. Well, after no, afterwards. All oh, right, yeah. okay. So you're there in the Weatherspoons having a few, and you're like, oh my god, do you? Do you hear what he just said about... And then so they square up. And all you see is someone hit this guy. And you're like, oh, it's on now. Example, but... And then they just bottle it. They go, what'd you hit me for? And you're like, ah, you pussy. And the thing about that guy is he's never the same person again. Like, he can't even come up to you guys. You're like, listen, fuck off, mate. That's what you're... You're really dismissive of that person. I get the feeling this is a memory rather than an example. No, no, no. But, <laughs> no, no, but we all have people like that at school. They had reputations. And then those reputations, with the first time they were tested, were exposed. That happened with Joshua because Ruiz was like, I'm not backing down. But isn't that the same as with... Like, it makes sense, especially in boxing, but around any... A po- uh, with, around any sportsman that has performed at the highest level and you know you all right you can argue whether Joshua has performed at the quote-unquote highest level but regardless he's he was the heavyweight champ of the world it makes sense to build a narrative around him so that when opponents come to the ring they're beaten before they even step in the ring some of them okay so same what, as Tiger Woods okay same as you know Michael Schumacher like beating people psychologically so that they feel like they can't possibly win it makes sense okay, no, even no. if you know, it's some okay. Six months apart, almost to the day, right? December first, twenty eighteen, Wilder Fury. June first, twenty nineteen, Ruiz Joshua. Number one, just look at the caliber of like, caliber of fights, just for the difference. But Fury gets put on his like got put flat on his back in the last round. You're drained, you're tired. What did Fury do? Got up, cleared his head, and went, "Oh, let's go." Yeah. <laughs> no no and what did we say then I just remember Wilder's eyes as yeah. he <laughs> as he saw us he's getting up <laughs> but, 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 and, and what did we say then what a champion right oh yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. and then Deontay Wilder Lewis Ortiz when Wilder gets buzzed and he's still there fighting for his yeah, belts yeah 
We didn't see any of that from Joshua. Right, That's so what worries me. This is it. Like so, last so Joshua finally goes down twice, and he's standing there with this vacant, glazed-over look in his eyes. And then, does he spit out his mouth guard? I think he spat it out when he went down. Right. So he's there. He's there on one and knee, sta- and it comes out. Right. And he doesn't look remotely interested. He doesn't, uh, when the referee's standing him up and yeah. getting, getting him prepared to go back in again, he doesn't look. And then when the ref finally says, no, it's off. He doesn't even protest. No, Joshua's just kind of like, I mean, all right, maybe there's a slight shake of the head or a sway of the, but really he is, he looks Relieved. concussed. But he also looked relieved that it was over. Yeah. And then later on, you've heard a couple of interviews of him and he's like, what a fight. He actually goes, what a fucking fight that was. Go, uh, goes back to what I said before, right? When these when these bullies get beaten up or get owned, what they try and do is they then try and be the nice guy. They will come and try and be your mate all of a sudden, you know? And you're like, no, 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 no. What happened to the savage? Well, because you know, that is Joshua's persona. Go He's back, the one go, handing no, no, out the, bets no, no, at the belts at the weigh-in. Like, no, have no, the hell no, of these, mate? Go back to that post-fight in the ring. I've never seen that before. You've lost the... <laughs> You've lost the very thing you said you lived for. And you're there hugging the guy that just battered you. Dropped you four times. You're there being pals with this guy. See, I'm not, I, I, mean, I don't get me wrong. I wanted to see him destroyed. And he was, and he was down on his knees. And uh, I think he was, uh, I mean, look, I am ignorant to this. Is he praying at this point? Is he like I don't fucking know, but he's he's got his he's got a towel over his head and he's doing something that I assume is some sort of uh, something like that anyway. But anyway, he's, he's he's look he's looking a bit you know he's looking a bit down and out and yeah, like I said, hugs or whatever. But I feel like he's trying to take the high road there. I well, feel like he's trying to be the classy guy. And I, but, I struggle well, to... I don't really want to chastise him for that. No, I do. Because... Look. I know what it's like to lose. I know what it's like... To, look, even in a boxing I know what it's like to get your ass handed to you by someone. I know what that's like. And I promise you, I'm not friends with you because I'm like, you motherfucker. I'm going to get you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm coming back. I can't believe that of you, funny enough. I'm coming back. (laughs) There's no way you're beating. No, fuck that. Beating me? Are you mad? I'll shake your hand and go make good fight. And I'll say, listen, better man won tonight. We're not panning up. I'm not in no pictures. Hell fucking no. Yeah. So for Joshua to be like that and in the press conference, just talking all this fucking... I don't even know what it was, man. Like, do you know what it's like? (laughs) It's like he's just... He's talking the same script as if he'd won. Well, I haven't seen the press conference. Yeah, so he's just talking so. like, he's like, yeah, I still want to fight Wilder. I'll fight Fury. I think they're the fights the fans want to see. They're the big fights that will define my career. Then he's in the same breath, look, one defeat doesn't define me. Uh, he, you know, all the platitudes and stuff. And I'm like, no, mate. Because there are rumors that he has to renegotiate a few of his contracts if he gets beaten or the money changes. You know, because did you see that? I don't know if you've seen that. There's a picture of Team Joshua, right? And there's like 30 people in this photograph. I'm like, you brought these 30 people to the fight with you. That's why you lost. 
You don't need 30 people when you're a heavyweight champion, mate. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like yeah. the Lucas Aid guy. You've embarrassed the nose yourself. Nose plug guy. He's, he's embarrassed himself. The airplane peanuts guy. Like, I, we can legitimately say Joshua hasn't got the heart. Because you had three belts plus the IBO. I would have wanted to see him crawling like Trevor Burbick. Get up once, fall the other side. Get up again, fall on the other side. Instead, he was just there like... Then he started complaining about being punched on the top of the head in the third round. I thought to myself, if you're a heavyweight that gets punched on the top of the head and that's it, you're a, you know, you're a lamb to the slaughter, the way that he seemed to go down, you're not, you're not going to be a heavyweight champion for very long. He's not... Listen, they manufactured a myth about Joshua. He's not that guy, man. And and forget anything else. This isn't even a technical thing. There's ways he could have gone out, man. Like, I would have been snatching those belts off Ruiz. Like, nah, you didn't really win these. We need a rematch. I would have been... Anything to say this is important to me. But he was just like... Do you know what it's like? It's almost like... Right, okay. Let me ask you this then. Yeah. Ross... <laughs> I, I don't know what to call him here, but... Ross, 15 S's. Uh, was there an element of AJ quitting? I don't think he did quit, but many have said that he did. Also, will this make promoters learn the danger of <laughs> marinating fights too long? But let's say the first point, then somebody, uh, uh, Boxing Blog News comes on afterwards and says, I think he quit. So it's, cl- it's clearly something that people are... Well- I think, so So it depends how you define quit. I mean, quit. strictly speaking, he didn't quit because he didn't say, I don't want to do it anymore. He got, the fight got called off. Yeah, but... he was looking for a way out is how I look right, at it. Right, okay, yeah. So I think... Which if, some people would... Uh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Some people would equate to quitting. No, but... if, the, if the ref had said box on, I think Joshua would have walked forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think he would have walked forward yeah. and taken his lumps. So from that perspective, he But I think quit. I think he was like, ref... It, it felt like only it wasn't, if necessary. Yeah, he wasn't too bothered about the fact that he didn't. That he, oh, oh, shucks, ref. You mean I have to stop now? That's what it felt yeah, like. Just, didn't a, it? just relief. He was just like, at least it's over. Okay, so Ali McKenzie asks. Do, should, do you want to answer the second part of that question? Oh, which was the the, the marinating fight. Yeah, sorry, go on. How many times on this podcast have we talked about that middleweight's the gloves are off thing that Johnny Nelson did with Andy Lee? Matt Macklin, Martin Murray, and Darren Barker, and none of those guys fought each other. And go back to what we said. I don't believe Fury versus not Fury. I don't believe Wilder versus Joshua ever happens. Remember, we we had that conversation. That we were like that fight might never happen. And now you're looking at it, going, "What does Wild at this point in time? What does Wilder gain from Joshua?" Well, right now, nothing. Exactly. Like, he lost to Ruiz. What Wilder does Ruiz in two rounds? Well, it, I suppose... I say nothing. It depends on, like, if Wilder comes to the UK, is a massive payday for him. Because is it? Yeah, because there's still you'd still fill out Wembley for Wilder-Joshua, even if Joshua's no, lost. Not maybe. The guy got dropped four times. I still think you would. Four times he got dropped. We still haven't, like... Look, those video editing experts still haven't got the proper memes out yet. Like, you know what I mean? We still haven't had the the full effect yet. We haven't had it yet. But that's 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 saying that you know this. It's almost. It feels like not a twelve round fight. This feels like a twenty four round fight with a break in the middle. In as much as 
on the on the assumption, caveat, um, that there is some sort of contractual obligation to a rematch. I think there is. But here's the thing. What's jo- what can Joshua do differently? Oh, you're going to come out swinging at Ruiz. He'll time you again. You tried that before. Oh, you're going to box him at range. He's just going to pick you off. And at some point, he's going to put it on you. Because the issue isn't that Joshua made any mistakes. It's that his stamina was gone. He had nothing. But we've been saying this for a number of fights is this, now. Is this the Vada effect? Well, maybe. May, maybe that Vada testing is catching up with him. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's the case. Maybe. I know that's highly conspiratorial. Yeah, but but but, just... but but it is genuine. He hasn't got the stamina. He he's got the power to drop you in com- like like in punching combinations. Yes, but he's the Amir Khan of the heavyweight. He, he's David Price. Okay, so uh, just to no quick no one... no wait, we need to touch you. He's David Price, a guy that gets hit and stays hit. We used to say that about Frank Bruno. Remember Frank Bruno just get hit and just stiffen up. And you knew it was just a matter of time before the fight was stopped. And Joshua's like that. You're now looking for those headshots on Anthony Joshua. So he stiffens up and then just, just let rip. So what's going to be different in the rematch? Ruiz is now the champion. If he carries on training for this, which I imagine he will, he'd have had the, not more momentum. He's fresher, younger, less burden, less pressure on him. He's still the underdog in the rematch. And all he has to do is keep the elements that worked and incorporate some new ones to make the, the result even uh, okay. more definitive. So on to this then. I said to you earlier, did Ruiz win it or did Joshua lose it? You said a combination of both. Yeah. But then you've just said that, well, what can Joshua do differently? So then surely that, in the rematch, then surely that suggests that Ruiz won it because he outfoxed Joshua. No. Well, well, no, Ruiz won as a statement of fact, right? But in terms of, was it him going up or Joshua coming down? That's the whole point. Like, as I said earlier, Joshua, Joshua was below what we thought he would be. So my question is, what can he do to get us closer to where we thought he would be? That's more my question. So, so, so could Ruiz just be... Could it just be AJ's bogeyman? Yeah. You, everyone has a nemesis in boxing, right? Everyone has that one person they can't beat. DeGale's got Groves. They could fight a thousand times. The girl doesn't win once. Do you see what I mean? Like, everyone has that nemesis. Groves' nemesis is probably Carl Froch. Carl Froch's nemesis is probably Andre Ward, where they could fight in the old people's home and Froch would never win. And maybe Joshua's got that nemesis in Ruiz because he just got, he's got that combination of factors that just befuddle Joshua. Okay, go back to that question that I started to ask you. Should George, should from Ali McKenzie, should Joshua have been pulled out earlier? Surely signs of concussion from the third on. Any relation between the clean boxing program and gassing so early? As a second part of that question, but the, should have be should he have been pulled out earlier? Now, I it, it certainly he certainly looked a bit concussed to me by the end, right at the very end. But I can't I really comment on anything earlier than well, that. Well, so, so so there were two elements. There's the lack of stamina issue. Yeah. I mean, that was where, quite Where clear. he was physically struggling. Yeah. And some of that might have looked like, oh, he's concussed, but he was actually just knackered. So I don't know if I... I think when it was stopped was the right time to do it because, you know, 
you've held, held those belts a while. Hopefully, you have an emotional connection with them. I didn't see much of that, but you know, <laughs> benefit of the doubt. But but yeah, as for me, I'm like, nah, the seventh was a good time to stop it. I don't think he sustained any lasting damage apart from literally having your soul bared to the public and being revealed that actually you've you've got very little heart. All that was missing was finish him. Fatality. Um, right, questions. So I've got a few more questions to ask you, but for now, let's let's Zoom in on the aftermath of the fight. Did you see Joshua's dad going mental at Eddie Hearn? No. I, I, I've literally seen the fight ah, and so, the initial aftermath in the ring. That's so, all I so, see. So post-fight, you can see it like while they're doing the interviews. Joshua's dad's shouting at Hearn. Don't know what was being said, but Josh was having to restrain his dad from having to go at Hearn. It... it it was one of those things where I only picked up on that earlier this morning. And I was like, there's something not right here. There's something not right. And I can't explain it, but it's not right. And until someone lets that story out, we're not really going to be able to contextualize this fight and maybe the previous fights either. There's something not quite right because... I found it strange. Like, if you go back to these IFL interviews where Eddie Hearn talks about Joshua being a friend before he's his client. Do you see what I mean? He talks about this deep yeah. friendship they have, this deep bond that they have. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm willing to accept this. But, hold on a sec. In the post-fight interview, you basically bury Anthony Joshua. Took his eye off the ball got sloppy in there, all this sort of stuff. And it's like, but you brought him to New York. It was your job. This is your crown jewel. It was your job to make sure there were no stones left unturned. And I'm like, don't try and deflect this shit onto Anthony Joshua when you're the reason these Wilder fights didn't happen. And you are the reason why that Wilder fight will never be as big as it could have been. You know, all those 50 million offers now. Now, if you're Joshua... You're pissed off now. Maybe maybe AJ's dad was annoyed because he's like, why didn't we take the 50 million when it was an offer? Now look, son's taking a loss and now you can't get that money. Don't be surprised if there's a fucked up contract in there somewhere. That's all I'm going to say. Because, wow. I don't think Hearn approached it in a way that I would have liked to see. All he needed to say was, look, Josh had an off night. We'll do the rematch at the end of the year. It's all good. But I don't even think the rematch will happen in Britain, to be honest with you. I genuinely don't think it will, because if you're a champion, how the hell do you not get to stipulate where you fight? Yeah, that seems and, odd to me. If there is a rematch clause, surely Ruiz gets to dictate a few of the a few of the items. And secondly, what stops Ruiz just vacating the belts and scattering them? Well, I did think this myself. It'd be great if he just retired well, and vacated well, <laughs> the belts. We'd be back to square fucking one. That's why I don't want the belts scattered. I want I want someone to have all four recognized belts, right? Then scatter them to the winds if you want to. But come on, can we at least just... We're so close. You know, we're so close to having someone have all four belts. Can't we just make that happen? So Wilder Ortiz happens, and then Wilder breaks his hand in the first round. And, oh, <laughs> no, not Ortiz. Sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, Ruiz, I should say. Wilder Ruiz happens. <laughs> 
Or maybe Ortiz, and then it's Ortiz versus Ruiz for the <laughs> undisputed heavyweight champion That'd of the world. That'd be a sad day in boxing, man. But but <laughs> there, there's stuff that happens behind this. There's, there's things aren't right, I think, in in Joshua's world, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, because, but, but what can play out? What can change? He's not going to leave McCracken, is he? Between, why not? Well. Why? Why wouldn't you? McCracken got exposed brutally in that fight. Do you really want McCracken in your corner when Wilder's throwing bombs? Hell no. You really want McCracken in your corner when Tyson Fury's throwing punches from angles you can't even compute? Hell no. Do you want McCracken in your corner when Ortiz is coming at you from that southpaw stance and throwing big bombs to that same temple that Ruiz landed on? No. You don't want Rob McCracken in your corner. Like, McCracken is the AJ of coaches. He's massively overrated for what he actually is capable of. It's just that he's got the advantage of having the EIS. So he, I mean, the English Institute of Sport, where he can call upon experts and like data analysts and stuff like that. The guy, the guy is all, he's uh, overrated. But no. I t- so I, I, but what's likely, he's not going to change, surely he's not going to change trainer now. Why? Well, 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 he's so. I mean, what can he? What can he? I mean, all right, okay, yeah. So maybe he will because plenty of plenty of heavyweights have done that. Uh, plenty of boxers have done that this late in the game. Do you foresee that? Do, I suppose the best question, the best way to frame it is: Do you foresee that happening? It's possible. And then where where, where could you go? You could find an American. You could go with someone like a Don Charles. Let's say he does that. How long does it take for them to have a positive influence on his style? A couple of fights. So there'll be one fight where you're kind of caught between styles, so you won't do too much different. Then there'll be one where you do a bit more different, and then hopefully by the third one, you're kind of bought into the philosophy. Uh, Sam Khan originally asked me, what do you think now about Joshua being the first boxing billionaire? But that was before the fight. Right? No, no, no. She, she, she knew. She's got that psychic in her. Right. And then she put, okay, so the original question was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but fucking hell, the whole landscape has now changed, or has it? What does this loss mean for McCracken? Should AJ leave him? And what does it mean for the GB squad? Uh, so, so you need to give me some background as to what implications it ha- would have for the GB squad. Cool. So Rob McCracken is performance director for GB Boxing. And you, we all know the formula, right? You come out of the Olympics, Matchroom have first dibs on the best amateurs and they get signed. And then the rest of them get scattered to the four corners of the promotional landscape. You now have to start looking at McCracken. Well, for two reasons. One, it seems every other country's caught up to us. So we're not as good as we used to be. Definitely not at the senior elite level. We're not. So you've got to start asking, has McCracken kind of taken... GB as far as he can and do we need an injection of new ideas you know is he dedicating enough time to GB considering his commitments with Anthony Joshua you know what does McCracken want to do remember McCracken's got a house I think it's in Loughton in Essex I mean so he's not really he's not northern based either you know he does a lot of work with Joshua at Finchley and look he's been in the US with Joshua while the GB lads have been outboxing elsewhere so it's like well Mate, are you 
are you the performance director? You're Anthony Joshua's coach. I don't think you can do both anymore. I think that's the point we've reached. And we need to just, we need to deal with that. In terms of the landscape, can you imagine John Skipper's face last night? And for those who don't know, John Skipper is uh, the big boss design. of the zone. Right. Can you imagine? He's like, have I just paid Anthony Joshua all those millions for that? And then, so now you're looking at that and you're like, okay. So those three heavyweight belts you were going to bring to the zone are now potentially going to go to another network. Because I don't imagine if, you know, because this is the thing I don't understand. Andy Ruiz is champion. So I imagine you have certain privileges as champion that put you in a very strong negotiating position. Like being given about 12 chances in a fight that you're losing to come back and try and fight again. <laughs> Mate, you sure you want to fight? Hanging up, hang, holding yourself up on the ropes. The ref like, you want to keep going or? <laughs> Refs, they're like, time time off, time off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he got, he, he got hit in the balls. How you doing, AJ? Do you want a few, 20 minutes to try and compose yourself? Yeah, so... So, look, John Skipper's in a bit of a bad situation with Matchroom at the moment because the whole point of getting Eddie Hearn was to get Joshua and it was to get those belts and maybe do the unification on DAZN. So now you've got Andy Ruiz, who's a PBC fighter. He now holds all the belts. Why would you allow your champion to fight on DAZN if you're Al Heyman unless they make a ridiculous offer? So now, now Skipper's like... In America, was that fart on zone last night? Yeah. Right. Pay-per-view here, zone over there. So now, so now you're Al Heyman, you're saying to Andy Ruiz, well, you can make more money in Showtime pay-per-view. Espinosa's like, it means we get Joshua back on Showtime. He can make more money. So what, the negotiations for that fight will be interesting because I have a feeling that Ruiz might just be like, you know what, sod it. I, I'll vacate two out of these belts but I'll just keep one do a fight with Wilder everyone knows who I am you know do a fight with Fury out of the sport and then Joshua's having to then climb the fucking ladder again um, Pete, uh, Pete Norstead says should AJ not win the rematch on the assumption there is one where does that leave Matchroom slash the Sky Stable uh, could it be argued that Queensbury is actually a stronger and more in-depth stable Yeah, I think they are. I think the depth you have is incredible. That British core. Because remember, Frank is not doing co-promotional deals. All the stuff that people say Eddie Hearn's got. Usyk, co-promotion. Who else has Eddie Hearn signed? Signed Joseph Parker, co-promotion with Duco. Jerome Miller was a co-promotion with Miller's promotion How does it work with him and White? Uh, Well, White hasn't been on DAZN, right? So I think... They just, that's a fight by fight deal. Right, okay. So I'm trying to think, all these guys that Eddie Hearn signs, um, Devin Haney, co-promotional deal. Uh, Gabriel Sardo, I think is probably co-promotional. I think he is co-promotional. There are a lot of co-promotional deals where Hearn just gets his name involved. A bit like Trump, like when you see the Trump Tower, he's just licensing his name. He's not actually an investor or involved in it. And so you look at that and you go, that's quite a flimsy model. And all you've got in, in, to your benefit is that DAZN war chest. But if I'm John Skipper, I'm saying to myself, well, I've got Oscar De La Hoya. Why do I need Eddie Hearn? Eddie's not giving me what Oscar's giving me, which is Canelo twice a year, big fights, and I can stuff the undercard. 
It does. It does very much feel like Hearn's goose that laid the golden egg was was Anthony Joshua, wasn't it? It was his calling card. So now, now the WBA are like, well, Joshua doesn't hold our belts anymore. So let, let's just say Joshua went. You know what? In a week's time, I've had enough. I retire. You know, I've had a calling, whatever. I just want to retire and go and live in a monastery somewhere. <laughs> that would fuck Matchroom up completely, wouldn't it? it? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Joshua now come out and admit he's a Muslim. I don't know. Um, Woolly Skull asks, people claim Joshua, quote unquote, just trains really hard. Uh, when he gets accused of being on PEDs, how can someone's stamina be so bad for someone who trains so hard? So I guess this is another thing to do with his his weight. He came in the same, well, within five pounds, the same weight he fought Joseph Parker at, which was supposedly a lower weight so that he would have more stamina and be able to work faster and whatever. But he looked gassed. He looked so fucking gassed. Is that to do with the fact that he got he got sparked in the third round, or not sparked, he's never but he's but he's never had that kind of stamina. Like if if you look, most people fight Joshua and they go towards the ropes. If you look at most of his fights, they all go towards the ropes, and most of his stoppages come when someone's against the ropes. What was impressive about Ruiz is he dropped Joshua in the middle of the ring. Now. What Ruiz did that was smart was he just forced AJ to keep going backwards and that burns more energy. And then once you've got that psychological pressure of going backwards, your brain starts to go into overdrive. You're trying to figure stuff out. You're burning a lot of mental energy trying to figure out what Ruiz is doing. So you're just draining the tank. The body shots are taking it out of you. You know, just having to always defend against someone who's quicker than you, anticipating. So how can... I guess the subtext of this question is, do we think that AJ at some point has been has been bolstered uh, by by some sort of enhancement? I mean, my personal opinion is across sport, if you think that generally sport is clean, I think you're deluded. Now, that could... And I, I'll accept that clean sport, uh, sort of unclean sport, could also be things that aren't yet banned that will be banned at some point, which you could claim is still clean, but it would, I, I see that would be at the very least ethically bankrupt. But I also feel like whenever you catch someone, it's always the first time, isn't it? It's like, I made a mistake. Yeah. Not, I, just cho- I just chose this because I want an edge, but I made a mistake. And I just think that it's like this, there must be... For someone like Lance Armstrong, who was who admitted it and went to such lengths to do what he did for fucking cycling, which, yeah, all right, it makes millions of dollars, but it doesn't make anywhere near as much as many other sports. For him to be going to such lengths to cheat that sport, I can't see why it doesn't happen across the board in all different sports, especially those that offer you know, higher rewards. Uh, so that is my personal opinion on it. My it, friend. It is rife across sport. My friend, you take medicine, huh? I <laughs> I work with removal men. Removal men tell me he take growth hormone because so hard to move house five, six times a day that he need recovery, recover muscles. So he take growth hormone or he take growth hormone releasing peptide. 
but he takes stuff just to get through work. You not think Joshua take things? Jesus fucking Christ. Like, come on, man. Do I think... Look, so... I was speaking to a powerlifter about this. Female powerlifter, Canadian. Weirdly enough, we had an Instagram video chat about this. And she was telling me what she takes. And I have to take her at her word. And it's not a lot. But you look at the size of her. She went from... She was a standard nine and a half stone woman, right? I think she's about top end of 12, bottom end of 13 now, in good shape. But she had that from taking very little additional testosterone. She's just a freak in terms of genetics. There are other women. Sure, sure, thank you for that. I haven't named her, so she's cool. (laughs) There are other women who take five or six times that and don't get the same effect. So there are a lot of things. So for me, I think we get obsessed with the visuals with Joshua. I don't think Joshua's that strong physically. Just based on what I've heard out of Sheffield, he's not physically strong in terms of what his numbers in the gym are. But you look at his physique, you go, he must be taking something. And maybe he is. But he also looks like a guy who just responds quickly to anything, any kind of stimulus, whether it's an exercise-derived stimulus or a synthetically-derived stimulus. It looks like he's just one of those hyper-responders. So he gets more out of juice if he takes any juice than maybe you and I would. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that should go without saying, but it's important to note that when you take anything like that, you've got to, there's, there's the obvious things of whether your body responds well to them. And there's the obvious, additional obvious thing, or should be obvious, in that you still have to train. You still have to, it just allows you to train harder and recover quicker and push yourself further. Yeah. That, that's what those things allow you to do. No. Not that they're magic pills that make you Superman. Well, no, no, no. So, so they are. So, well, there's a guy. I mean they, they don't, you can't just take the pills and then, oh, I've got a boxing match tomorrow. You've got, still got to prepare. It just allows you to prepare yes. more. So, there, there was a study by a guy called Anders Ericsson, and he looked at this and he gave, he, he gave, Three groups of men, different doses of testosterone. Did they know? Was it in their coffee or something? Yeah, they knew. So they, oh, they obviously, mate, he, he got, I've he got, got hair growing out of my eyeballs. You got to, you, you got to sign the waiver, Andy. That's how it works. <laughs> this is, this is not China. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I think that was a women's study. But no, it was. Look, so they gave, they gave men the men, the men that got six hundred milligrams of testosterone and did no exercise. It's got massive, massive testicles. No, but they, oh. well, it's actually you get testicular atrophy, hypogonadism. But yeah, that's what they they, they experience similar gains in strength to a sample that wasn't given testosterone but trained their nuts off for three months. Right. Okay. So similar strength gains. So it's like this, Andy. Let's say you take the 600 milligrams of testosterone and I'm just training my nuts off, yeah, lifting heavy. And I go from 150 kilo deadlift to 250 kilo deadlift, right? You'd get that same effect just sat like that on your ass taking testosterone. You'd get the same effect. Damn straight. (laughs) So so you can actually, and it, it can be advantageous, but the exercise stimulus 
turbocharges that exactly, process. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So remember I said on this podcast, if he was doping, I imagine the majority of the doping was done before he turned pro. So they got all of those benefits, the hyperplasia, the increased bone density, all that stuff happened before he turned pro. And all you need to then do is just top it up. And it's easy to do, you know. A lot of these athletes are now taking this thing called testosterone cream. You just rub it on your nuts and you're good to go. <laughs> Why do you have to rub it on your nuts? Apparently that's the best place for absorption. <laughs> Fuck off. Shouts out no to Jay Campbell. Way. No way. <laughs> but where should I rub this, doctor? On your balls. <laughs> you got to shave them though. Got to be shaved. <laughs> You've got to shave your balls first. Then rub this testicular. Then rub this uh, testosterone cream right on your nutsack. Yeah, get involved. Um, Daniel's, Daniel 87, Daniel Smith 87 says, Nothing away from Marie's stunning performance, but does AJ need to look at this manufactured corporate bubble and make some changes? And what would you advise AJ to change? Um, I was talking to Winnie about this. Was it yesterday? If you look at Joshua's team, there's very few boxing people involved in that. It's all commercial people that know their domains. So social media, commercial contracts, they know their domains, but they don't understand boxing. Testicle creams. And boxing places unique demands on a human being that if you're not sensitive to those, you get caught up in this. So Joshua was so obsessed with this whole commercial entity thing that he was up to that he, like I said earlier, he lost track of who he is and he's meant to be someone who takes heads off. And, you know, all that, all those GQ covers and the stupid videos of having meals with your team and saying there's no you and I and team and unit and, and all that sort of and, and garbage. And taking 30 people as an entourage to a yeah, fight. Fucking around with orangutans and golf carts. All of this stuff that he does. And you're like, mate, just strip it all back down to basics again. Going back to Winnie's um, point about um, billionaire boxers, right? A bi being a billionaire boxer, has he got has he got sidetracked with trying to chase that? Because going back to that orangutan um, in the golf cart thing, that was in some sort of Middle Eastern state because of Dubai. the people that was around. It was in Dubai, was it? Was it was in Dubai presumably he's on some sort of private promotional tour which paid him well now so, that is a guess admittedly but he's not gonna go there for free well no it's how dubai works so if you're famous they'll roll out the red carpet they'll be like look we'll pay for 10 flights for you bring 10 people we just want to show that you're here you'll get looked after instagram the hell out of it and you know i mean you're looked after so that's what I, think, I imagine. That's the similar deal that Joshua has. So is that in, is that one of the things that he's getting sidetracked by? Um, well, so look, when I talk to people who are based in Sheffield at the EIS, Joshua trains hard. There's no question about that. He's one of the hardest trainers. But you can't manufacture heavyweight greatness. Why do we love Ali? We love Ali because he took the onslaught from George Foreman. Remember, he took it. And yeah. came out to win. Could you see Joshua doing that? I can't. We love yeah. Joe Frazier because Joe Frazier refused to quit. Can you see that? That's not Joshua. We love George Foreman because he was a savage and he would just run people over no matter how good they were. Is that, it's not Joshua. Joshua's like Tyson for me. 
where I'm just not convinced that they're great and they could never be great because we've never seen them fight the big, bad monster. Who, who did Tyson first lose to? Buster Douglas. Knocked out. So, the fact that Tyson lost there, uh, Lennox also lost to Rahman, right? Hasim Rahman, yeah. Right. They were both sort of spark out punches. They were one punches, yeah. Is this different? Yeah, look, look. Rackman just iced Lennox. Lennox made one mistake and he was out. Ruiz beat up Anthony Joshua. Beat him up. Like, how? You know what? Andy Ruiz could go home. And I know he doesn't because he's a very chilled and a good Christian man. But he said, how are you going against Joshua? He'd be like, listen, I put the shoes to that guy. Do you know what I mean? That he can, and he can reliably say that. Look at the state Joshua was in, man. Ruiz, <laughs> whew. I mean, assault with a deadly weapon. So you you don't you don't foresee AJ winning this? Well, re, I'm assuming here, but winning a rematch. I don't. I I just I can't see it at the moment. I would almost say to Josh, mate, swerve it. Go and go and take the Dillian fight. In the meantime, you know he won't. I, well, for the exact same reason, Didion will do the same to him. So then you're like, well, who does Joshua fight now? If he doesn't fight Ruiz, who does he fight? <laughs> but he will fight Ruiz. I don't. I'm not so sure. Honestly, I'm not so sure because what it, it would have been in his contract, it would have been in some sort of clause in his contract, and the the lure of trying to get those belts back would just be far too much, and it will blind him to anything else. I think. Nah. He'll he'll make. Well, it. well he's going to have to have a conversation with himself, right? Because now you're like, okay, I've got a rematch with Ruiz. I need to get the best sparring partners on the planet to prepare me. Yeah. So. That's guys like Oscar Rivas. After he's done with Dillian, Oscar Rivas becomes a sparring partner for AJ. Trust me. It's finding all of those little guys, maybe some cruiserweights who've got hands as well. I mean, these little heavies like Gassiev and just getting getting worked over by those guys and seeing, have you still got it in you? Um, DJ Boxing Blog, is Ruiz now the favourite to win the rematch due to the ease with which he took AJ apart? So. Uh, these are, a few of these are going to be questions we've already kind of covered. Uh, yeah, I'll be quick on that. I just, I just think Ruiz is his. That, that's that's your kryptonite right there, H.A. Man. Um, regarding Joshua's performance last night, this is from Matthew Skelton. Do Skelt. you think it's his stamina or powers of recovery that's the problem? And has his careful matchmaking with aging fighters covered up the obvious flaws he has? Shouts out to Matt Skelton. Really, really cool guy, man. We go back and forth on a regular basis so he he knows my views on a lot of this already uh look they did the same thing with tyson that people laughed when i said eddie hearn is a new don king now you understand why i said this hearn has mastered the ability to assemble a stable of good names but either old or overrated and then just feeding them to his fighters that's all he had. But then you look at Andy Ruiz. It wasn't that long ago Andy Ruiz was fighting Kevin Kingpin Johnson. So n- these aren't two guys who have been in tough. It just so happens that Andy Ruiz is a legit tough man. And that's what he showed last night. Um, Pulling the Punch asks, is this new age of boxer, the super ripped fit Olympians coming through, unfitter than the old? 
I've seen many top-level fighters go the distance regularly, but a lot of modern fighters seem to be tiring much earlier in fights. Josh Kelly, AJ, Fowler, your thoughts? Um, So the old school guys fought often, right? So if you're doing four or five, in those days, 15-round fights, well, yeah, you're better able to cope with the demands physically and mentally. But these guys are doing 12-rounders twice a year. And that's pretty much it. So they're likely to struggle. I think being overly muscular is, if it's your natural frame, if you're just naturally that kind of build, then you'll be fine. If you've had to build yourself up like that, you'll always have stamina issues because you're putting a load on your body it's just not genetically designed for. Um, let's have a look here. Kev Morrow, um, has AJ surrounded himself with too many yes men? The size of his entourage is ridiculous. We have kind of covered this. Well, we have covered it. Yeah. Um, look, I think Joshua's got to have a a long, hard look at himself. He needs to go back to the people who know him best. Maybe those guys like Johnny Oliver and the, the Finchley lot and go, what am I doing wrong? And it might be the case to just go, mate, where you are now is your level. You'll never be any better, but you can maintain it. Right. This is a similar... This is a, a theme that's come up in a conversation I had with a friend earlier. And uh, Ian Chinery has also come up on the, uh, with the question. Have you seen anyone look so happy that they have lost all their world titles? There's just something not quite right about the fight that I can't put my finger on. Any ideas? Then he follows up with, not just the fight either, the ring walk and the biting on the bloody gum shield during the anthems. He was like a nervous wreck. Now, I, I spoke to a, a friend earlier on the phone. And he's like, something doesn't add up. And originally, he said about throwing the fight. He said, maybe to sort of build some narrative. I said, you don't throw a fight against Andy Ruiz. That's my personal opinion. You'd th- if you're going to throw a fight, you'd be throwing a fight against someone you could build some sort of trilogy around. But I'm not convinced by that anyway. But then he, then he came back to me after I watched again. I said, okay, maybe not throwing the fight. Something doesn't add up, and that just seems to be a common theme with some people. Well, is it because is it just um, is it just denial the fact that they don't feel like Joshua's Joshua could have possibly lost, or you know was AJ, there was talk of AJ having a sty in his eye, and maybe he's been ill before, maybe some sort of well, flu or well, whatever. Yeah, we're, we're looking for deeper meanings to essentially some yeah, just just chickens coming home to roost. You'd, you'd been swerving these challenges your whole career. You've been swerving challenges. Dillian should have had the rematch by now. Should have already had his rematch. You know, remember when they were telling us Joshua's going to fight three times in a year? Well, they should have done that. Maybe he wouldn't be in this position or maybe we'd have found this out a lot sooner. But now, mate, you've just lost the thing that was going to secure your family's fortune. You've lost that. And I don't think you've got it in you to get it back because from what we hear, you're meticulous in your training. So you can't train any more than you have done. There's not enough time to learn anything new. So what the what what are you going to do to close the gap to Andy Ruiz? Like he he might be even more ready next time. Uh, what explains all the smiling at the? This is from Ollie's boxing handle. Nonchalant attitude from AJ at the end of the fight. Was it concussion or has he made too many too much money too soon? Does the pod honestly think he wants to challenge after this? 
That's a big question. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's a valid question to ask. Like, how hungry are you, Anthony Joshua? Because it did look like... Like, it looked like he was happy to be there. Yeah. Like, it looked like Joshua was just happy to be in New York and do all of this stuff. Because in that whole build-up, all those little videos of him with this person and that person, him in Miami doing this and that, having to see guys like bloody Meek Mill... And all this sort of nonsense where you almost felt that they were pimping Anthony Joshua out for the benefit of someone else. I almost, this is how I feel at the moment. They've used Joshua to try and grow the zone and matchroom in the US. And I don't think he's seen the money for that. That's how I feel. Do you, do you think AJ wants the challenge of getting his, t- uh, his titles back. The thing with him is, he's always talked about, I say always talked about, he has, m- he seems most energised when he's talking about money rather than his belts. And, he, and the way he's conducted himself in terms of his opponents has not been to chase those belts. He said he wants them and now suddenly he really wants Wilder after he's lost. But... You know, it just doesn't seem to... What motivates him? He's not hungry, man. He's not hungry. Is this the silk pyjamas thing? Or is it just... Nah. <clears throat> Shouts out to... or well, rest in peace, Mick Carney. Mick just used to say, this thing's either in you or it's not. And at that level, I don't think it's in Joshua. And that was Andy Ruiz. What happens to Joshua when Wilder hits him on the temple? You know, doesn't bear thinking about. What happens when Fury starts to land shots on Joshua? Does not bear thinking about. Ortiz does not bear thinking about. Even Dillian now. Hergovic, Yoker, Joyce, Dubois. These are scary times to be a big heavyweight, man. Like, Joshua is... He's, he's, he's on everyone's radar because now that Ruiz has done it, right... It's removed that big psychological barrier. Now everyone's going to be like, I'm, I, I can do that too. I can beat Joshua. Fuck it. I want that name on my record. It also exposes Joshua psychologically as well. So that he he doesn't think he's invincible either, does he? He doesn't, ha- he doesn't have that additional resilience because he knows he can be beaten. Yeah. And, and is it going to be a question of when he's being outboxed and beaten up like that, he's just going to look for a way out again? Be interesting to see. Do you think it could have been the fact that he didn't actually believe the ref would call it off? So he was just a bit nonchalant? No, 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 no. You you know exactly what to do in those situations. You don't play games. You don't fuck around. You get yourself back in the action. So you think he might have been a bit concussed? I just think he's looking for a way out. Because Hay said exactly the same thing. He said, look, I've had, I've had interviews after the fight and I've just looked back at it and gone, who the, who the hell is that? Just spouting nonsense because it wasn't me kind of thing. Um, Fergie asks, how do you see the rematch going and will it fill Wembley? My personal opinion is that if they did have it in the UK, it would fill Wembley, but I am more prescribed to the notion of it happening in the US. If Andy Ruiz has any input on this fight whatsoever he's gonna get more a massive purse out of it probably you know probably close to five times as much as he's made in this fight i heard that he made something like six million this fight I can see that being sizably more 
Uh, and I can see it being in the US somewhere. Probably, uh, probably closer to the Mexican border. I I have no problem with that. I I I I don't see why he doesn't get a Vegas fight. I think Ruiz, yeah. after that performance, deserves a Vegas fight. You know, let him tick that off his list. Um, it's just a great day, man. Like it's a great day because those those AJ guys were almost. I mean, they were reaching levels of strength similar to Fury power, and you're like, whoa. Uh, they were going to be the two big factions, but now it's just Fury Power as the dominant faction on boxing Twitter at the moment. So congratulations to Stig and the crew. Uh, Max Stoke asks, does Frank Bruno have a love child called Anthony Joshua? Did AJ quit? Why was AJ playing with his gum shield continuously at the start? Has Femi fallen out of love with boxing? And will the UK be on the decline now? So Frank Bruno, I don't Frank Bruno never quit. Never quit. Frank Bruno would never quit. That's not Frank. Frank just had that thing of when he was hit, he stayed hit. And so he probably just couldn't move. He had no mo- no motor functions. But Frank was as brave as they come. So I'll always stick up for Frank because, you know, he was holding it down for British heavyweight boxing when, you know, we didn't have anyone else. Uh, as yeah. for as Femi falling out of love with boxing, maybe. But look, the guy it just... certainly looked like it was almost... That- at the end, it was almost like, ah, oh, thank God those belts have gone. <laughs> okay, no, no, but, but let, let's really analyse it, right? December last year, Josh was on the West Coast doing some kind of promotional stuff, right? And then it's like, okay, Joshua might be fighting in April. Remember, they had Wembley booked for April 13th. And so you start camping whenever it was after Christmas, right? You start camp. That all goes tits up. You're fighting Miller in June, but you're kind of not in camp or not out of camp. Then you have to get back into camp. Has Joshua ever really come off this hamster wheel since he turned amateur? I don't think he has. So I worry that he's just burnt out. And what he probably needs is a year to let his body heal, let his mind heal. Because when you're that big like he is, I don't think it's easy to to do camp after camp after camp. No chance of doing that. This is what this is how I see AJ's next twelve months going. I see him fighting Ruiz again immediately as soon as he can get it. That's that's what I want. Now, let's be generous because uh, so alternate uh, possible future path one is that he somehow pulls off a victory against Ruiz, like. Maybe he was ill in the build-up to this. Maybe he didn't prepare properly. Maybe this, maybe that. And maybe whatever that is, he manages to get over. And that's done for the rematch, and he wins. Then, judging by his weird and spooky um, sort of almost disinterest in when he lost, that is endemic of the fact that he has fallen out of love with boxing. Then I see him saying to Eddie that he wants, because I'm assuming that Eddie is the one that's pumped the brakes on this, that he wants Wilder and Fury ASAP to make as much money as possible and then dive out the sport. That's what I, how I see it going. And potentially he loses to Wilder and then he calls it, calls it a day or something like that. But the, I, I can see this fight having shaken up everything, just like it being 
sort of apocalyptic in his world in his worldview and his ambitions. It's we all have our day of reckoning, right? And it it's that principle of whatever it is you think you are, at some point you're gonna have to be challenged to prove it. If Joshua really thinks he's a world champion, you know, cool, but you got challenged last night and you weren't able to prove it. You know, look at Wilder. Wilder proves it every time. So Joshua has to get back to that point where he can prove it. And then he needs to prove it against someone who's of an equal mindset like Wilder. It's just, mate, I've said it before, I'll say it again. We needed this reality check. It was just going too far. You know, we were hearing all sorts of ridiculous talk about what this guy would do. I'm just glad that it's all over. Right, so to continue my alternative, um, you know, pass forward, you know, op, um, option two, so to speak, they have the rematch and Joshua loses again. At that point, that's... This feels like... This, this feels like the the earthquake and then potentially there could be another one that causes even more damage later down the line if he's had this arguably if he beats Ruiz in the return fight on the assumption that it happens you they can then given how Hearn is so creative with these things they can build it as you know oh you know I, I took my focus off I'm back I'm ready I'm hungrier than ever Whatever, I'm sure they can make they can spin a positive out of it. So there's that to consider. But if he loses that fight, at that point they've got real problems because I see his only big fight is potentially his only big fight is Fury because White will put himself into a position where he could be a mandatory for one of those for one of those fights. So he'll have that focus. Uh, Fury will have the the focus of potentially a Wilder fight because he's already sort of said that that's what he wants. But I see Fury will take the Joshua fight. I don't think Wilder will. Unless there's, unless there's belts to be had, I don't think Wilder's interested in a fight. I really don't. But Wilder's chasing something different, right? He's chasing that legacy. I want to be unified. After that, I think he'll just pick and choose. But we want that, right? How long have we been saying we want one face in the division? Yeah. I just I just don't think that... Um, Joshua's future hinges on winning this rematch. Yeah, Hearn has said as much. But uh, this is what I find interesting with Hearn. In terms of someone signed solely and exclusively to Matchroom, I don't think he's got a heavyweight that can fill the gap if Joshua loses again and it's like well you can't even beat Ruiz it's not safe to put you in with anyone else so he ends up having to fight guys like David Price and Dave Allen um, it's game over um, mm, mm, mm. I just want to give a few shout outs to people that have asked questions that we've probably covered already really Human Highlight Reel asks who is to blame for AJ gassing so early do you want to add to that McCracken he's accountable for how Joshua shows up in the ring uh, Yuri asks, has Bellew surpassed Nelson as the ultimate company man? <laughs> I didn't really see any of the build-up with, with uh, <sighs> Bellew, so I can't really comment. 
Well, so there was an interesting one, actually, with... It was after the Katie Taylor fight. And Carl Froch quite rightly said, Pursuing should have won that. And what's the woman's name? Is it Anna Woolhouse? Wool, uh, uh, Anna Woolhouse is trying to bring Carl back on message like they always do. And Carl's like, no, no, no. I don't think I don't think you can make an argument for Katie Taylor winning this fight. And then Bellew tries to clean it up by towing the company line. And Carl's just like, nah, I'm not buying it, mate. And I, I love Froch for that. Like as a boxer, maybe not so much so, but look, as someone in as someone who gives his honest opinion. Froch is probably the man at the moment. Bellew is hit and miss. Um, Yusu Ndur asked, did you notice AJ's dad going mental at the Hearn team post-fight? Which um, you already mentioned. Yeah, just a second. Seven seconds away. Josh Finch asks, do you think Joshua underrated Ruiz and do you think Wilder will fight Ruiz for all the heavyweight titles now? See, that's an interesting one. If there's no, if there's a way that Ruiz can get out of a rematch of Joshua, does he do it? Yeah. Uh, well, look, to, Ruiz is Al. Wilder's Al. The fight can be made. That would be huge in America. That's a Vegas fight. All the belts... Showtime pay-per-view, Las Vegas. And and also, with the potential fights you can get out of that Heyman stable, that would be one of the all-time great pay-per-view cards. So, yeah, I'd, I'd rather see that, actually. I'm more intrigued by that than the rematch with Joshua because we, we're not screaming robbery. We're not screaming it will stop too soon. We're not screaming injustice at the result. So if you accept the result is as it is, that's a seventh-round stoppage. It doesn't warrant a rematch. It's not close. Well, dropped not, four you times. You know that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, dropped four times, man. Come on, it's 2019. Come on. You know that there'll be uh, certain clauses in that contract that. Yeah, yeah. There's, apparently there's a rematch clause, but don't know how it's exercised. Don't know what it means. Don't know anything like that. Don't even know what the terms are. Uh, I got um, a few questions that, and I haven't scanned them, but they might possibly be out of date since the fight because uh, they're prior to the fight. London box asks, can you mention on your pod that the showtime wanted Wilder fight for AJ even promoted AJ in the U S to build it up. And then AJ fucked off to the zone that the baseline, that's the baseline matter of fact. He's right. You remember that was it. They were building Joshua on showtime ahead of the Wilder fight. And then DAZN came, and I imagine Josh was like, I don't make as much money on DAZN, so why am I on here? And the slave masters cracked their whip and said, you'll do as you're told. That's my theory at the moment, is that the slave masters cracked their whip and he had to do as he was told. Um, Christian Alcorn said, do the latest developments between the top three heavyweights mean the belts just don't matter to fighters anymore? Well... I think you can probably say that's changed in the last 24 hours um, because they were held to ransom so much by Eddie. It kind of, in the end, it it was, it, it didn't just seem, didn't seem to matter. It, it, it didn't, you know, they were carefully, well, presumably carefully picking AJ's opponents. Turns out not carefully enough, but um, to the point where it, you couldn't invest in worrying about the belts because they were just being held to ransom. Um, Again, from Christian Alcorn, I always 
hear fighters, I always hear fighters and promoters in interviews slating anybody who dares to criticize them on social media, calling them trolls. Nowadays, anybody who has an opinion is a troll. Where is the line between trolling and having a valid opinion as a fan, let's face it, who pay the boxers' wages? It's an interesting question as to where that line is, but it's the same as anything. Like, for, for, for there will be people who are trolls. There will be people who are not trolls. And there will be people who, uh, who have soft opinions, rather, that are, not, that are not considered trolls. Then there will be people somewhere in the middle that have unpopular opinions that will be called trolls in order to try and discredit their opinion that whoever doesn't like them. You're a troll because you're saying that we're not, we're not taking the most challenging fights when there is evidence to back up the fact that they're not taking the most challenging fights. That would be my opinion on it. It's tricky because you're right. Where's the line? I think you should be allowed to say Joshua's not that good. Now, if you say Joshua's a bum, then I'm a bit like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're fishing there, son. But generally, if, if you're criticizing something you have seen or experienced, or you're criticizing the fact that someone clearly isn't thinking logically, fine, do that. That's not trolling. If your aim is to cause discomfort and distress to somebody else, you're trolling. That's my definition. Oh yeah, I mean, if you if you are looking to help someone, help someone identify if they are trolling or not, what I would say is, if you're putting something out there in order to provoke a reaction and not to ask, not to get an answer, if you're if you're trying to evoke an emotional response, then. Yes, that's trolling. Yeah, agreed. And look, there's no place for trolling because we've waited. Think how long. And I know at some point I'm going to get a message off Porky Russ. Shouts out to Russ. Hey, if you guys can get hold of Porky's corner, make sure you do, man. He's he's on fire this month. But like, we've all waited. We've waited for two things. We waited for Joshua to lose and the demise of Matchroom. And not even that out of malice, but you just want to see that house of cards revealed for what it is that's what we look forward to and so days like this when you do a podcast or if you've got your own website or whatever is these sorts of days that make the drudgery and the bullshit worthwhile because this is when boxing is unrivaled as a sport when you get this sort of like no one saw this coming moment and everyone was just like oh shit look go back to that third round when when Joshua drops him and you're like, oh well, here we go. I don't, I bet on round four, so I'm hoping it kind of drags out. <laughs> and then Ruiz drops him and you're just like, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh. and then you're like, he ain't recovered, he ain't recovered, ah, and you're like, you, you, at that point you're buzzing, you're banging the wall, you're banging My six anything. Six pound fifty bet isn't gonna come in. And then you're like, he's dropped him again. Stop it, stop. And then you're like. How they're going to jerk him in this fight? How they're going to jerk him? Yeah. And then the seventh round, he's going to go to the cards or something, and Ruiz going to yeah. lose by a point. Yeah. <laughs> first, first, first knockdown in the seventh. I'm like, just stop the fight, man. Like he's his tank's empty. He doesn't want to be there. Stop the fight. And you're just like, yeah. Ref gives him a good 15 minutes yeah. in the corner, and you're there like, I really wish I was on Twitter at this point. I really wish I was on Twitter. <laughs> and then he stops it, and you're just like. I looked away. I didn't think it was real. When I saw the ref wave, I was like, this isn't real. 
Like, it's the, no, 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 no. I love that no. Ruiz just throws his arms in here. He's so happy. It's brilliant. I'm watch. just like, no, but you, you're there, aren't you? You're like, this can't be real. And you're like, I love Ruiz. I just love the fact that, I mean, this guy eats Snickers and that's what he's known for. And he's it just... Was, it was the, it's the banner on his uh, Twitter page, isn't it? Like, he's got, he's got Snickers above his picture. Ah, oh, brilliant. Giles, um... Did Terry once? Uh, sorry, this is this is actually a change of um, a change of topic. Okay. Did Terry once say some Asian sportsmen don't test positive for PEDs? Is Inoue really a monster? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah. So there is. Oh, you you catch me off guard with that question. I, I don't know what the exact gene is, but what so. What they do when they test for drugs is they don't actually test for the presence of testosterone normally. What they, or test, nandrolone, they test for the metabolites. So they're going to test for the waste products. So they're essentially saying, look, you've got the waste products in you. So you must have had it in you. That means you're yeah. guilty. Fine. There are some people from Asia that don't have the metabolites. The metabolites just go. And we don't know where they go, but they don't appear in the test. So you could be juicing your tits off, literally, and you wouldn't fail a test. So potentially their body actually metabolizes even the usual waste products. Yeah. So, so yeah, so the modern tests aren't suitable for them. Would they be able to pass a biological passport? Not necessarily so. So maybe that's an option. After we've said all that, I'm actually now going to stick in Martin's something like Two minute monologue, monologue. soliloquy <laughs> that he sent us earlier because last time he sent me one, I didn't put it in, and then he sort of said, Oh, I won't bother next time, but he did. Yeah, so here it is. Here's Martin's thoughts on the fight. Checking in from Madrid, yeah, sat around not feeling great in a really hot. Uh, Airbnb place doesn't have aircon and the shower has taken us the best part of an hour to work out how the fuck to use it after watching Spurs fail to turn up last night. So yeah, not been the uh, the greatest 72 hours going. But then I got to see Joshua. <laughs> nah, look, it's, uh, it's nothing against Anthony. You know, it's. Uh, I think this is the culmination for a lot of people of their dislike of Hearn rather than Joshua. You know, every time that Ruiz landed those hooks and that right hand over the top, and the enjoyment people would get out of that wasn't the enjoyment of Joshua being on the canvas. It was the enjoyment of knowing that Hearn had fucked things up for however long, trying to overmarinate a fight, trying to make money that isn't there right now. It'll never be there to that level again. It was sad watching Joshua. Bruno-esque, wasn't he? Like, every time he got punched, his defence just fell to pieces. And there you go. Like, will the rematch happen? Probably. In the UK, I guess. That's what they're talking about last night. It's funny how straight away they want to go to the UK after taking him over to America with, with such excitement. But I'm sure you two boys will cover an awful lot more than I've just managed to do. Now I'm going to go on an open bus tour of Madrid. I might print out a Champions League trophy and take it with me. Um, but yeah, have a good one, gents. 
Okay, that's Martin's thoughts. And now a change of subject slightly, rolling on to other parts of the card. Um, one that we've already spoken about, actually. Sean Basto asks, now that Katie Taylor has cleaned up the lightweight division, albeit controversially, should she now move up a weight division given the lack of depth in the current division? Well, we're, we're, there's no depth anywhere, so there's no point, really. She's well, you, You've unified the belts. There's a Serrano fight. I think it's Amanda Serrano that's left. But I don't think anyone cares. Like, is Should that, that fight have a rematch? What, Kate Taylor versus Pursuit? Absolutely. Jason Peters asks. Absolutely. Like, it, was an, look, it was an absolute... Dis- I, I, I thought... I didn't think it was a robbery, but I don't think they rewarded Pursuit enough for the fact that she just came. Like, that woman is tough. Like, you know, I'm not Katie Taylor's biggest fan, and I think she was exposed for being what she is, essentially... You know, someone who's boxed longer than probably the rest of the top 10 combined. And she's got that advantage, which isn't her fault. But look what happened when someone just stood up to her. Wow. You know, both women will need to recover from that, though. They, they, they left a bit of their soul in that ring yesterday. OK, let's start to wrap things up. Any other business, Mr. Look, Terry? I think one of the things we haven't touched on is don't let the dramatic nature of yesterday's fight obscure the fact that that was a dog shit card from start to finish. And I'm not trying to hear this, oh, but there were great fights. We're saying that with the benefit of hindsight. What Hearn wanted to put on yesterday was a sequence of one-sided matches. That was it. It was just another way of saying, right, you know, let's let's just take some of this zone money and just splash it, right? Because you had, just thinking off the top of my head, you had Josh Kelly fighting either who's the lad he fought man is it russell or whatever but you're asking the wrong guy if i'm honest mate, mate you know these Martin sorts of fights where you're like these scenarios and, and they were trying to say it was a step up but it's like it's not a step up from david avanessian so we were you know, so that fight last night ends in a draw so you're not going to see kelly versus avanessian and there's another guy who got exposed for being overhyped you know and it's, look, this is what happens. As soon as these guys are willing to stand up to these Olympians, they're falling apart. Um, I love Josh Boatsy, but why are you fighting Periban? Periban last fought like two years ago. And that was a loss to Avni Yildrim. And Avni Yildrim lost to Chris Eubank Jr., who's essentially a middleweight. And you're light heavy. Why? Who does this matchmaking? You're just digging guys out of nowhere. You know, and the sad thing about all of this is Lawrence Okoli doesn't get a chance. Of all the people you could have showcased in America, you didn't even bother to put Lawrence O'Coley on there. That's that's disappointing. But, you know, to flip it round, fair play to Tommy Core versus Algieri. Tommy was brave. And but Algieri's not that good. We know that from him just getting dropped anytime Manny Pacquiao breathed out. He was just dropped. So that card was horrible. And it's symptomatic of the fact that I mean, Matchroom are pretty rudderless at the moment. And now that they've lost that Joshua effect, they're completely rudderless. You know, it's... Yeah, but as long as people keep buying it and keep paying, I guess this is the sort of garbage we're going to get. You know, in contrast, you know, go and look at Frank Warren. You've got Dubois versus Gorman, Joyce versus Jennings. In terms of prospects, I don't think there's anything better than that. And there might be one more heavyweight fight to come. Hopefully, you know, Big Frank can get another heavyweight on there. It will have a heavyweight trifecta of really talented heavyweights 
heavyweight fights, man. And that's what you want, man. Frank Warren's the guy that's probably giving the fans what they want, but the fans are always willing to slag him off and make fun of him. But he's delivering for British fans um, in British venues. Yeah, now, go back a couple of years and he was... He was building. All right. That's generous, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> a few years ago, he was... A bit, but he's catching up and... If anything, Eddie Hearn stays still and he's being caught. There's nowhere for Hearn to go. The thing is, we've all heard the bullshit. He's almost talked himself into this perfect bullshit circle where now he's saying the stuff he was saying three years ago, but we've got it all on tape. We're like, oh, we know what you're saying now. Trying um, to tell us Joseph Parker was this, was that when he signed him. Hey, Joseph Parker's horrible. Joseph Parker is the equivalent of putting a banana on the pavement, stomping on it, scraping it up and eating it. It's disgusting. <laughs> such a weird way to describe it. But he's such a weird guy, isn't he? <laughs> Proud Maori heritage, but he bottled it against Joshua. Um, are we done? Uh, I'm trying to think. What's anything happening next week we need to be aware of? No, Fury's two weeks from now. Yeah, Golovkin's fighting. He's old, not that bothered. Sorry, hipsters. Really not bothered about Golovkin. He's a granddad. A big shout out to... Actually, I wanted to congratulate Matchroom on one thing. So they've got two light heavyweight fights this summer. Craig Richards versus Andre Sterling. And that's going to happen, I think, in June. And like, you know, who's next? Dan Aziz versus Charlie Duffield. And that might be on July 20th on the Dillian White card. I might, if I've got them the wrong way around, apologies in advance. But they're two massive fights. All four of those guys are like ABA semi-final level amateurs. So they're skilled. All four of those guys can crack. All four of those guys are double tough. So if you are going to get behind British fights, they're the kind of British fights we want because these guys came up together in the amateurs. They know each other. So... We complain a lot about fights not getting made when they should get made. These fights are getting made when they should be made. Uh, on a side note, really gutted about Kirk Garvey lo losing to Dex Spellman. Had a few messages back and forth with Adam Martin because I asked him why they had Richard Towers by their side. Look, look, apparently it was a really hostile crowd when they went up there for the Spellman fight. So hopefully nothing untoward happened. You know, but wow. Um, really feel for Kirk Garvey. And then I'm sure Dex Spellman will get one of the winners of the two fights I just talked about earlier. And that's not going to be easy because I think, yeah, you know, it was a nice touch where he had Scott Westgarth's name on the waistband of his shorts as well. It was a nice tribute. Uh, other things that are happening in boxing that we need to touch on, Andy. Anything? Um, well, You've got like four phones in your hand. Why? No, no, I haven't. These are actually, no, I've got a, I've got a deck of cards. Have you? Yeah, there. Uh, a lady got in touch with me and asked if we would have a look at uh, give these a shout out, and I said, "Yeah, sure, if you send me some." And uh, they're kick-ass cards, and they're basically playing cards, but they've got all of the. Uh, they've got really nice. Have a look at them. Really nice. Oh, I want the fresh pack. You can have that. Well, I haven't opened them yet. Yeah, I know. Well, they're yours, so. Oh, yeah, they, woo! Yeah, Cellophane. They so, <laughs> they've got, they're obviously 52 playing cards and a couple of jokers and whatever, and they've just got all the, uh, some art. They're nice. Of, 
They're, they're, listen, they're really nice. It's a oh, nice little boxing gift. Boxing greats. If you know someone who's into boxing and you want to get them a gift. Yeah, that's true. That's a great These idea, are yeah. really, really good. Yeah. Like, I've just had a look at these. These are, yeah, I'm all over these, mate. I'm not going to lie. So you get yourselves a pair. How do we get hold of these? Kickasscards.com. Yeah, so just as, as you would spell it. Yeah. Yeah. You can get hold of them at kickasscards.com uh, or on Twitter at kickasscards. So yeah, there's a there's there's your way to get hold of them. But they're they're really cool. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to be testing Terry and Martin um, as and when you know when Martin when we've got a full house over what which box is which. Do you want to? Shall I give you a quick test now, Terry? Well, I'm going to pass you a card, and you can tell me who it is. Right here we go. Who is the Jack of Clubs? Here you go. Who is that? Bernard Hopkins. Let me just check on the uh, on the list. Yeah, you're right. Although I thought I was wrong. I thought it was Evander Holyfield. <laughs> you're right. Well done. Well done. Should try one more. One See. more. Come on. Right here you go. Oh, this is, I'm just gonna. I've just pulled one out at random. I'll be astonished if you get this one, because that is that is actually fairly tough. Well, it is for me anyway. Is that Larry Holmes? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now then, this is going to be at least for my own amusement, at the very least, um, a feature that I'm going to just tease uh, Martin and Terry with. Terry, hundred percent record. Well done, um, and. Yeah, all the cards come with a little list of of all the bods on them anyway. So. No, look, they're really good cards. They're really well-made cards. Uh, on a side note, other really well-made cards are available from, if you know Winnie and you speak to her on Twitter, she does custom cards, birthdays, anniversaries, <laughs> Christmas even, whatever you want, like, she can do it. Like, she's really getting into it. Like, she's expressing her creative side now. And, like, the cards are flying off the shelves. How do you get hold of her on Twitter? Um, at Sam Khan is it still no no at Blessed With Work sorry oh okay yeah at Blessed With Work on Twitter get hold of her if you need custom cards done Uh, she did a crazy order to the US man shoebox business and I was like whoa so she's doing all right from it man her hustle's strong so no no yeah get hold of her if you need cards man because we're all tired of those Clintons and paper chasing that sort of nonsense so just yeah you know if you want something a bit more creative and a bit different and yeah, in the meantime, um, right, I'm, I'm going to tease you of these kick-ass cards in the next couple of weeks. Ah. Thank you very much to uh, Michaela at Kick-Ass Cards for them. Anyone that wants a review and a plug, yo, send the products. Yeah, because yeah, we're, we we're not getting any money for them. <laughs> it's just, I love that. I thought they were really snazzy. And they, they are really good. Yeah. Well, um, build qualities are snazzy. Uh, right. Can, one more enough. thing. Oh, go on. You see... This is what happens after every fight. Like, there are people that don't like Anthony Joshua and they have every right not to like Anthony Joshua. Might rub him up the wrong way, might not like the way he boxes. And so when he loses, let them have their day. Nothing annoys me more when I hear people like Nicola Adams, Dave Caldwell, and all these other boxers going, oh, you know, all you haters just leave AJ alone. It's like, no, 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 no. Let the haters have their moment. Like, they've kept quiet for long enough. Let the haters have their moment and you worry about winning your fights so the haters don't come after you. Boxers are the most pathetic people in terms of backbone. Like, listen, when you lose, that's how the sport works. When you win, you get all of the spoils. You get all of the money. 
all of the glory. People want to take pictures with you. They want all of that stuff. And you love all of that. That's why you box. You want to be in front of 90,000 at Wembley. The flip side is, there's this dark side over here where it's horrible. It's As DMX said, it's dark and hell is hot. If you can't live with that, don't chase the dream. That's what really annoys me. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'd agree with that. I, I mean, yeah, clearly there's limits to everything, but uh, by and large, live by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah, look, if, if someone said to me, I could make 30 million quid if I win, and if I lose, I'll get 5 million quid and loads of abuse on Twitter. I'm okay with that. Like, the, I'm okay with that. You know, why are people so sensitive? And it's always the people who aren't very good, like Dave Caldwell, who are always like, I don't mean he's not very good as in a human being. I mean, like, his track record right now is not great, right? It's not great. And he's having a dig. Mate, just let people have their moment. This is what the sport's about. Let people have their moment. And I'm not saying that, like, go and troll people. What I'm saying is, I was happy yesterday that Tottenham didn't win the Champions League. That doesn't make me a troll. It makes me an Arsenal fan that knows I couldn't have lived with Spurs winning the Champions League. <laughs> That's real politic. So I enjoyed it. I enjoy giving Martin shit because he's in Madrid and his team lost and he has to live with that. <laughs> I'm all right with that. You know, I love him as a friend by all means, but you know, that doesn't make when me a troll. When it comes to football, it's war. Yeah. And it's like they were <laughs> boxing. You get quite tribal. Joshua's lost. So the anti-Joshua brigade are going to celebrate. If he comes back and beats Ruiz, the pro-Joshua brigade are going to come and celebrate. Yeah. That's what cool. we sign up to. So if you're in boxing and you're there trying to, yeah, we didn't, shut the fuck up. Well, you almost got through a whole podcast without sort of, Going psycho. Yeah. And then also, look, shouts out to Chris Congo, man. He lost out on a fight on the 25th of May. And look, people don't realize the dark side of boxing. Remember, boxers get paid when they fight. So when a boxer doesn't fight, he doesn't eat. So let's all pray, agitate, push for Chris Congo to be boxing on one of the big cards that's happening this summer, man, because he's too good a talent not to be involved. So big shout out to Chris Congo. You know, show him some love. Make sure people appreciate that. Look, this is a guy, man. He's what boxing is. You know, that guy who's trying to live that dream, but the system keeps throwing shit at him. But now, love to Chris, man. Well, I certainly hope we have filled that gap that um, that y you will have uh, wanted us to fill after such an enormous, epic earthquake in the world of boxing. Haven't been at our full strength self today because not only have we missed Martin, but Terry was up pretty much all night. And at periods during this podcast, it's looked like he's gonna, I'm going to lose him to the world of Nod at times. Yeah. Just You're saying. spacing in and out. But you rest assured you've got the rest of the day to, to recoup now. To build beds and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I sincerely hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you very much for sticking with us through this long. Yeah. And, Cheers, uh, guys. We will be back next week, hopefully full strength. And mm -hmm. uh, with any more fallout that has come from this week. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Speak to you later. Thanks for listening. See you later.